Hi there, and welcome to the Bandroom Podcast. My name is Dylan Maddox. And I'm Kate Nishimura. And today is a very special day, not only because of who is on the podcast, but because this is BRP 40. We have turned 40 today, folks. Can you imagine? Yep. We've reached that point in our life. We're thinking about buying a convertible, (laughs) uh, you know. We're questioning which, where we're going, mm-hmm. but it feels great to be 40 years mm-hmm. old. Yeah. And I'm so glad. And I, what is this? Is this episode six? For me. To our, yeah. Yes. Isn't I it? Think oh so. my gosh. Seems like just yesterday I was telling you about the weird dream I had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and here we are living the dream. Yeah. Living the dream. <laughs> yeah. And, um, Today was a, a very exciting day um, for for Kate and I because we were able to uh, sit down with the wonderful, the amazing Colin Clark, who is a conductor. He is a clinician. He's an adjudicator. You name it, he does it. Uh, and uh, he is someone, certainly for me, who is a very pivotal person in my life from a very early age when I was a grade seven student in Prince Edward Island mm-hmm. uh, to even starting my career as, a, as an adjudicator and a clinician. He, was, he is someone who helped guide me and, is, and has supported me in that way. So it was just a really fantastic uh, talk. Mm-hmm. And before we tell you more about that, there's something very important that you might consider doing for us. Mm-hmm. If you can, before we go on to the rest of the episode, please do us a huge favor and head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts like this one, and give the Bandroom Podcast a rating and a review because this really helps others to find the podcast and grow our BRP community. Grow in the community, yeah. uh, which is happening, which is great. And one thing I need to say, because I, I think I've been doing this for years and saying this thing for years, and it's been very misleading. And uh, Dr. Lung pointed this out last week. If you want to go like leave like an actual written review, review, you can do that on iTunes specifically. I don't think you have that kind of power to do it on Spotify or anything like mm-hmm. that. So you can go leave that kind of review thing there if you, if you want to do that for us, which we would be very appreciative of. Um the other thing I want to talk about is the excellent uh, bonus episode that we recorded today uh, with uh, Colin, and uh, it was it was very fun. Uh, mm-hmm. I've I've had Colin as an adjudicator, and we've worked together many times as adjudication colleagues. So we thought it'd be fun to share some old war stories. So you can hear <laughs> you can hear that episode um, if you become a patron through Patreon, uh, which you can learn about at patreon.com slash bandroom pod and uh we need to thank some new patrons uh mm-hmm. who have our community who, has yeah, grown a little bit recently which is very bit. exciting yeah and someone who actually has a great connection to colin clark um because i know he is a member of tyro and if not metro wins at one point or another and that is uh jonathan wong Thank you so much for becoming a band room band geek and <laughs> uh, and 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 supporting us in this way. It's it's an immense help uh, to us in running the podcast and promoting the podcast and and doing all of those things. So thank you so much. And Jonathan himself is a fantastic conductor and musician, mm-hmm. and I uh, I've I've been able to see him grow uh, over the years too. So thank you so much, Jonathan, for your support. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So. We're going to get out of here. We're going to get down to business. Mm -hmm. Without further ado, here is our conversation with Mr. Colin Clark. Mm -hmm. 
Welcome to another very exciting episode of the Band Room Podcast. Today we are very excited to welcome Colin Clark to the Band Room. Welcome, Colin. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here, guys. Good to see you both. Yeah, you too. We're really excited to share your story with our listeners. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could start by telling us a little bit about where your musical journey began. <laughs> I was born in a small mining town on the other side. Oh of the wow! Uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was uh, born and raised in Toronto. Uh, I lived in Mississauga for several years and uh, didn't have much in terms of music uh, education uh, until I got to high school. Um, um, and at that point in time, uh, I had the opportunity to. Uh, my high school had uh, two streams: you could either take instrumental band or percussion. Ooh. And I chose percussion. Yeah, and, and it was ingenious because uh, the 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 uh, school setup where the percussion section uh, was the 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 percussion class. Pardon me, the grade nine percussion class was the percussion section for the grade nine band. But we didn't meet each other for the first four months. So we all we did for the first four months was percussion technique and percussion ensemble, drum set, uh, orchestral percussion, uh, uh, African percussion. I mean, we had so much fun in that class. It was such a good time. And by the time we met the band, uh, you know, like several months later, we were organized, we were prepped, we were ready to go. It was it was like like a like a routine. It was fantastic. So, uh, but before that. I, my, my, my middle school didn't have uh, instrumental music until after I left. The year I left, they started an instrumental music program. Uh, so I went back and helped out. But uh, until that, we had like guitar and recorders oh, yeah. and like every grade seven yeah. kid had a recorder. And there's something absolutely terrifying about like, you know, hundreds of grade seven kids <laughs> playing maniacally hey. into a recorder together. Yeah. Something happens to you, you know what I mean? Like when you play recorder by yourself, it's one thing. But when you're in a room of like, you know, like a hundred people, we just went, like ballistic my poor music teacher back then it was just you know whatever but uh yeah so that was my musical experiences going into high school you know didn't have much in terms of piano lessons or or private lessons of any sort mm -hmm. but when I got to high school and started making music I was I was absolutely hooked and um, if we're talking about my if you'll forgive me I'm I'm, a, I'm the kind of guy I like to tell stories uh to the chagrin of my musician to my orchestra that tend to tell stories you're so in the right place I for that use a lot of yeah <laughs> okay I, I and please edit me if I go too long-winded or give you some sort of signal like, you know, you know call and wrap it up. You're, 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 I can be quite loquacious at times. So so my percussion class, it was the it was a Friday before a long weekend. And my teacher had those, you ever have like your grade teacher who like, you know, doesn't want to teach, so he shoves in a video sort of thing. Yeah. And that's your, that's your class sort of thing. In this case, it was, let's go watch the senior band rehearse. So not that he didn't want to teach, but instead of like doing a class on the last period on the Friday before the long weekend, uh, he said, let's go next door to the other classroom. I'll watch the grade, you know, that 10, 11, uh, 12. And of course, in my case, grade 13, uh, uh, senior band rehearsed. And it was like this massive class. It was fantastic. But all I can think was, geez, I'd just love to go home right now. I'm mean, like, you know, you made your point. You don't want to teach. I don't want to be here anyway. Can I just go home? So, no, he ushers us into the classroom. And again, there's a, it's packed with a whole bunch of kids. There's about like 80 kids in the, in, the, in, the, in the classroom. We have to be very quiet in the very, very back of the classroom. We cannot make a sound. and can't make a peep. And for the next 90 minutes, you're going to sit here and watch the senior band rehearse. So I'm, I'm like, you know, oh, I could have been home by now. But, you know, whatever. Here I am. And, and there it is. I'll make the best of it. So I'll never forget this. They played this piece, and I didn't have the, 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 the terminology I have now to describe the piece, but I remember thinking to myself, 
they began and they made this sound from like the lower instruments. And it was a slow, uh, ominous tune that they played. And I remember thinking to myself, even to this day, I remember thinking to myself, this is without a doubt, the most boring thing I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. I don't want to be here. I want to go home. And this tune kept repeating itself and the low instruments. I'm thinking, geez, like, you know, why am I here? And the worst part of all is that the percussion section in the, in, in the senior band didn't move. They were just standing there. Nothing happened. So why would the percussion teacher ask us to go to the, the, the senior band class, presumably to watch the percussion, on, percussion this, in that class play? And they didn't play. Jerk. So I'm sitting there watching this piece unfold more and more and as as the piece goes on the melody keeps repeating and other instruments come in um, and it was like you know it's interesting to a degree uh i didn't think from a musical standpoint it was more like you know there's such a large group of people and only some people are playing that's you know that's i wasn't thinking music i was thinking more like a population study like oh these, these people are playing these people are not playing that's that's a strange thing right <laughs> and sure enough you know music goes by and the, the melody keeps repeating i'm thinking this is again why why be here but it was interesting to see more people slowly join in on the tune so it gets to a point where uh, the, 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 I know there were ones now, but you know, the flute people and the clarinet people back when I was in grade nine, my grade nine line, they start to play finally. And the piece gets slow, louder, slowly gets louder, gets stronger, more people are coming in. And I'm thinking, okay, this is kind of getting someplace. Then finally, finally, the percussion section <laughs> stands up and, and like with militaristic precision, they stand up, they walk to their instruments and they begin to play. And they're playing bass drum and snare drum and cymbals and timpani. And of course, my entire percussion class, we're now, we're now hooked, we're engaged now. But it, it took a good, like, you know, I don't know how long it was actually in real time. It felt like a half hour to get there. But by the time <laughs> they got there, I was like, okay, this is, at least now something's happened that I can relate to. So that was kind of fun. Right. So it, I, long story short, you probably see where this is going. The piece continues to grow and gets louder and stronger. More people are coming in. It's getting exciting. I'm now feeling this thing. And to me, again, I had no, I had no mechanism about the piece. So I was thinking this more of some sort of like, you know, rising, do you know what I mean? Like think of like a movie terms, you know, the, 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 the hero is emerging out of the darkness and the, the clouds you know, open up and the sunlight <laughs> comes through and, you know, it's victory. How did this dark place where now have victory and all the people are coming together in the village and they're making this wonderful sound and the piece gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm, I'm by this time, although I'm not, I, I can't say I love the piece, by this point in time, I'm hooked. I'm into this. The percussion's wailing. The brass people are going. The woodwind people are going. It's just, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a good old time. So the piece comes to an end. My conductor does one of those really cool, like, you know, cut off sort of things. And you can hear the band, the echo of the band in the room. Like they stop playing. You can hear like a couple of seconds of the sound from the band. And it was brilliant. I was so impressed by this. And I began to clap. And my teacher shot a look at me, like, what are you doing here? You know, and of course the whole band turned around, like, you know, it's like, you know, look at, looking at like, you know, you know, what are you doing here? You're, 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 you're ruining our vibe sort of thing. So it didn't occur to me not to, not, it didn't occur to me not to clap, but I did clap anyway. And uh, I like clapped like you know, one, two, three, four, five times and stopped. And then like, you know, had a hit behind my shell sort of thing. <laughs> and that was the end of that moment. But I learned that that piece was the first movement of Holst's First Sweet and E flat from I knew it. Right? Oh wow. <laughs> and it has become one of my absolute favorite pieces 
ever composed. And I'm talking a broad spectrum of choral music, band music, orchestral music. It is to me one, of, it's like a perfect piece. I love that piece. And when I think about how it made me feel, again, not knowing what the piece was and not knowing how to understand the piece or identify the piece or describe the piece, I remember how the piece made me feel. And it made me feel like I had no idea it was possible for this to even happen. Like, 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 how is it possible for people to get together and make sounds like that? I had those, that was, that was a paradigm shifting moment for me in my life. I had no idea mm -hmm. this kind of construction, collaboration, participation was even possible. And I was hooked from that point on. I, I, you know, I, I studied my music. I practiced like you wouldn't believe. I was on time for, for most rehearsals. I, 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 I practiced all the time. I joined every group in my school. So jazz band, percussion ensemble. I even started a, I even started a horn quartet, believe it or not. I wanted to learn a bit more of the horn. I started a horn quartet that lasted a weekend, but I, I played in the horn quartet for a while. We had a brass ensemble, again, percussion ensemble. We, we started a vocal jazz group, I sang in the choir, and I could not oh, get enough of music. So everywhere I can go to get some music, I would do that. I even got to the point where I was asking my teacher every week to give me something to listen to. So like it'd be Friday afternoon, last period, I said to my teacher, just, just give something that you think I should hear. So he pull out this thing called an L Chris, uh, okay, it's called an LP. It's a, like a long play thing. You're under 30s. Hey, we're the same age. Oh, you would hate? Okay, you two. It's yeah. <laughs> There's this thing called a record. <laughs> oh, tell us more. <laughs> In a faraway land. Is it world. square? It's, it was circular. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> it was like a big compact disc. And I guess they the compact right. disc. <laughs> anyway, he, he would give me just recordings of anything. So it was like I one day, one weekend I went home and he gave me the like a Duke Ellington record. Mm. And the next weekend I come home, I I got like Stravinsky's Firebird, or I'd come back. Truly, like anything and everything he said, like, you know, what will blow my hair back? Just give it to me, I'll take it home and listen to it. And we had this routine, right. we had this friendship going where where he he I come back Monday morning, I'd have to do a like a report like that. He just said, what do you think? You know, and I tell him like, you know, I like this part or I didn't like this part or whatever else. And so, okay, if you like that part, then here's another record. I'll see you next Friday and I'll give you another record that you like this sort of thing. And that was the beginning of my musical education, which, which I absolutely, uh, is the cornerstone uh, of the foundation of where I began as a musician, because, uh, I didn't go into that school thinking I want to become a musician. I don't go to that school thinking I want to leave the school and do this as a career. I was just in love with something. And if you ever fall in love with something, no matter what it is, and you're hooked and passionate about that, that's what happened to me for our years in high school. I became completely hooked on the concept of making music collaboratively with people, uh, whether it was jazz, choir, percussion, the weekend I played French horn, or concert <laughs> band. So, so that was the beginnings, if you will, of my musical uh, journey. That's amazing. Oh, wow. I love that story so much. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I, I've been finding just the process of doing this podcast and having people that I've you know looked up to for so long and people I've worked with in, in this case and not knowing anything about like what was their first sound yeah. and then hearing it. And I want to point out, uh, you were talking about, you know, bringing these CDs home and, and records. Or sorry, sorry, the records, the records, <laughs> my God. Um, uh, and that's something that my my private trumpet teacher in high school did for me every week. He would give me a CD of like Guido or it'd be Maynard or it'd be someone yes. right to co listen to. And I never thought anything of it. Right. I was just listening to it and loving it. But, uh, 
it's so important to provide some kind of sound sound concept for for your students and just hearing that like you know what a great orchestra sounds Absolutely. like you know what a what a big band sounds like and and especially and you do so many different things not just band and i can imagine that early experience had a, had a great impact it, on you it really really did and like you said i didn't appreciate that until years later but the education I was getting, like even the, even the idea of listening to this recording, because it developed for me a concept of sound. And I would think, mm. I would think about like, you know, that I was at a point in my life in, in grade nine where I didn't know what the instruments were exactly. So when I brought home the, 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 uh, uh, the, the record of Holes of the Planets, and you hear, I didn't know what was making that sound because I, I, I knew that was an instrument that was in the band or the orchestra, but I didn't know that was a French horn or a French horn section or bassoon collaboration or whatever else. I had no idea. So a lot of my questions came back with like, you know, what, what, what is that instrument or who does this here? Or, or like, you know, you know, what, what is a, what does a bassoon sound like, you know, thing, sort of thing. So that helped me just develop an idea of conceptually what ensembles sound like, what the ensemble sound could sound like. And, you know, mm -hmm. and then of course the questions from there was like, well, how do we get there? How do we become a stronger sounding ensemble? Now, these aren't questions I asked myself in grade nine or grade 10, <laughs> but when I, when I, when I look at my cool. history down the road, you know, when I was standing in front of an ensemble, I was thinking, oh yeah, I remember I like this piece because it reminds me of a recording I, I listened to in high school. And therefore I can go back to that recording and find it. Now, now I have my CD players and, and use that right. as a reference point to help establish concept of sound and it was really really yeah. brilliant in a way so that was the beginnings of me there very cool very cool and and from there um you were off to the university of toronto to begin your your dream of becoming a percussionist uh -huh. and and which i want to hear about but uh, your path to becoming a conductor is is quite unique and it's and i from listening to past talks that that you've given i know it's not necessarily a role that was something you chose. <laughs> um, so I was wondering if you could maybe talk how, how you began conducting. It's, it's, a, it's a great question. And the, 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 the short answer is the conductor that I wanted to work with passed away. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. I, I brought in a chap named Bramwell Smith to conduct the beginning of what was once called the Brampton Youth Wind Ensemble, because I lived in Brampton, then we turned into the Toronto Youth Wind Orchestra when I got to U of T. Uh, and uh, I want a Bram Smith who is, who, who was, God bless him, the sweetest man in the world. I mean, he, he was, um, uh, he was the guy that uh, my teacher would bring in to do workshops with the ensemble. So the same way, you know, Kate, you and Dylan, you go into schools and talk about whatever else. In my day, it was a guy named Bramwell Smith, uh, the second. And he was in his late 50s, early 60s when he came to my school. And this man had more energy than any teenager in the room. And there was like close <laughs> to a hundred of us. This guy was amazing because he had this absolute undeniable passion for what he was doing. And if you, if you, if you look at his career, I mean, it's extraordinary the things that he did in, in a lifetime. He lived two lifetimes worth of musical experiences and somehow found time to come to a small school in Brantford, Ontario and spread joy and love and inspiration. So when I decided, I was so much important to me, I was going to talk at the beginning of the Wind Orchestra, but right now, when I decided to begin this ensemble, I wanted him to be the conductor. I'll tell you more mm -hmm. about that later. But uh, within the first season, he, he was unfortunately stricken with cancer and he passed away just months later. I think it was August of 1993, he passed away. And that was, that was right in the beginning of our season. So, so right. uh, I took over 
uh, as the conductor because I couldn't find someone else to conduct the ensemble. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I tried. I called. I called people. Like, yeah. Like, think about how busy teachers are, generally speaking. Now, oh, imagine right. getting a phone call from some nineteen-year-old kid saying, "Hello, I, <laughs> I have a band. I want you to conduct it. I can't pay you. Can you and can you put all the program together? Get bring your music and whatever else." I got hung up so many times, <laughs> and I don't blame it. So I, I gave up and said, "You know what? Two things are gonna have to happen." I Either one or two things has to happen. Either one, I have to let this thing go and decide this is not for me uh, and let it go. Or two, I had to pick up the mantle and conduct myself. Now, at the same time this is all happening, I was developing severe tendonitis in my forearms, in both arms. Because, you know, and you've both gone to university, you know what it's like, you know, you get in the mm -hmm. practice room. And to me, practicing was a joy. I love going to the practice room. You know, I take my mouths out, play marimba for hours. And, and we were lucky because at the University of Toronto, we had designated percussion studios. So it was never a problem getting a practice room and getting time to practice. And we had to negotiate with like, you know, uh, seven or eight other people, but we're all like a bit of a community there. So it was like, you know, I'll be there on Thursday evening until about nine o'clock. Can I get after you? Sure, no problem sort of thing. So I was practicing for hours at a time. Time and just loving every well, not every minute, but loving you know <laughs> practicing snare drum, timpani, uh, uh, um, marimba was my favorite, like four mallet marimba stuff, you know, playing Bach uh, 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 cello suites on there. So, I mean, I just, I just that was my joy, that was my heaven, and I developed mm -hmm. severe tendon. I didn't even know what tendonitis was until I got to U of T. And when I told my professor, like, you know, my arms hurt, he said, you may have tendonitis. And we try to fix my technique and whatever else. But by this time, I was too far gone. And as you may know, tendonitis is not something that can be cured. Once you develop tendonitis, you always have tendonitis. So it's just a matter of conditioning and control, uh, severity. So I had to, uh, I was told at a very young age, if I want to be able to do certain things as an adult, uh, with my hands, I had to stop playing percussion. So this repetitive uh, behavior, which at that point in time, in my early 20s, late teens, early 20s, I was, again, devoting hours at a time doing this. Uh, it had to stop. And of course, I couldn't do a recital. I couldn't do anything else. So I, I, I left U of T just despondent. I didn't know what to do with myself. You know, all of a sudden, everything I planned for myself was just kicked aside. So so parallel to this is the is Ram passing away and, you know, Mike not being able to play percussion anymore. And I, I think, I hope I don't sound uh, weird if I say this, but I, I really believe that the career chose me. It wasn't a decision I made to say, I'm going to become a conductor. Like, you know, like I, I'm not smart that way. I, I like, <laughs> when I had to put down my sticks, I, I like, I cried, I, 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 I was lonely, I was depressed. I didn't know what to do with myself because my love and joy was, was making music as a percussionist. So mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do with myself and I just, you know, felt sorry for myself for the longest time, just, you know, stay home watching episodes of some after school special or whatever else sort of thing. And then again, at the same time when we were losing our conductor for the, for the, for the wind orchestra, you know, the musicians wanted to keep playing. I asked them if they wanted someone to conduct there, nobody would. So I took the mantle and began to conduct and it was the most uncomfortable, unnatural thing for me to stand up in front of a bunch of musicians and lead them as a, as a person of, uh, of intellect and authority. It was just unnatural to me. I was used to being part of a team, you know, being in the percussion right. section. You know, we had our squad. We even had a secret handshake in our percussion section. I'm not kidding. <laughs> we had everything in percussion section. So the idea of being by myself now, you know, don't just, you know, it just just didn't work for me. And I felt very uncomfortable with that. But after a while, I grew into that and became, you know, more comfortable being a conductor and taking on the responsibility of being the leader of the ensemble and then ran with that from there. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. You basically went from like, the back of the ensemble as a percussionist to the very front of the ensemble as the conductor. <laughs> I heard you say once, I traded two sticks for one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I did. And I, I hated it. I hated standing up in front of, like, I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be, I want to be in the back because like, you know, you can get into more trouble in the back of the ensemble, <laughs> pass notes around, you can do things. And again, you're part of a team, right? In the front, the whole, all of your attention is on you. And I didn't want that. So, so being at the front of the ensemble was, was just, just really, really strange to me. In fact, I remember the first time I ever stood in front of an ensemble, this was actually in high school, because I had to get a score from the, front of the, from the front of the band during rehearsal and bring it back to the percussion settings. Yes, we had some, a couple of questions about a piece that we just finished rehearsing. So I remember walking to the front of the band and my conductor gave me the score. I was looking around like I was like in some strange land, you know, it was just weird. Look, <laughs> look at all the flute players and, and are those clarinets? Ugh. And you know, I didn't see them in, in person. Nothing against flute players or clarinet players, they're fine people. <laughs> but uh, for me, it was like, you know, I don't wanna be up front here and that guy by himself on the podium, I wanna go to the back where I feel comfortable. You know, my people, my peeps were like, you know, low brass, tuba, trombone, the string bass player, the percussion guys, some trumpet players, uh, but it was like, <laughs> sorry, sorry, but my, my home was in the back of the ensemble. <laughs> there was a number that I had to get over just to allow myself to be the center of attention in, in that context, uh, which took a while for me to get used to. It was very uncomfortable at first, but I, I managed to absorb it. Yeah, for sure. When, when did it start to feel like you were part of a team again, like recognizing that being at the front didn't mean that you weren't part of the team anymore. Like when did that start to get more comfortable for you? In truth, it took years. Yeah. And, and the reason is because I never thought of myself as a competent conductor. It never occurred to me that, that I would ever be uh, the kind of person that people would want to come to rehearsal to and take, take, I don't want to say take orders from, but take instruction from me sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I remember doing all the things and panicking about this. Okay. I have a rehearsal next week. I have to be right. I would tend to emulate my high school teacher. That's all I knew. And my high and my teacher, I used to play in the Toronto Symphony Youth Orchestra. So the conductors there, I try to emulate what they would say in rehearsals and do whatever else. <laughs> but a lot of times my, my rehearsals was, okay, let's, let's, let's start from, I don't know, let's go from bar one. And we started bar one <laughs> and we get to bar the end of the piece and like, a, okay, um, let's go back to bar one try to get <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I had no mechanism to learn I had no structure I had no idea so I was very uncomfortable now I was I was a gregarious boy as you know in high school early university I was fun loving I had a good time sort of thing so I, was, I managed to be able to I guess do things or say things to keep their attention but in the back of my mind the whole time thinking I have nothing to say I have nothing of value to offer these fine musicians. And by this time we're at U of T and my campaign was to, you know, invite a whole bunch of people from, from anywhere to come out, play the U of T, York, whatever else, come to the faculty of music and on Sunday afternoons, we'll just make some music. That was, that was the, the intent. And of course, at this point in time, I was thinking Bram will be there to, to, to conduct, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the ensemble. So while I'm there, you know, we're talking about people who are getting professional uh, attention from like, like exceptional musicians on faculty at U of T. Not to mention, I mean, you know, I was sharing the same rehearsal space as Dr. Stephen Jeanette, who at that time was the faculty music uh, wind, wind ensemble, wind symphony conductor. And like, you know, Stephen Jeanette, Colin Clark, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's like, you know, like, like, oh my God, it's Michael Jordan and, and uh, Raccoon, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, there's no comparison, do you know what I mean? So we're musicians who are going to Stephen Schnitt's rehearsals and getting an amazing education. Then they go to, then they go, or, or they're in the symphony orchestra, getting an amazing education. Then on Sunday afternoons, they come to my rehearsal and I stand there for two and a half hours 
and it was more me than anything else. <clears throat> and I wasn't comfortable for a while. So it took me sadly years just to accept the fact that I was actually pretty good at this. And they kept returning because they were enjoying what was happening at rehearsals. That's awesome. You are pretty good at this. And, you know, I think <laughs> it's so important to, for, for us and for everyone to hear this kind of story, though, because I, I think when people, young people, get a chance to work with a conductor such as yourself, um, they just see the version of you that is now, right? That you're an expert, you have all this to offer, and they don't necessarily know that when you started out, you were very uncomfortable, you were nervous, it was awkward, you didn't know what to do, and that everybody has to go through that process, right? So I, I think it's so great to to hear from you about that. You just blew my cover. Now everyone knows I was nervous in my first <laughs> There you I don't go. know that. I, I, I landed on the podium knowing exactly what I wanted to do. That's all. <laughs> exactly. I'll edit that part out, Kate. <laughs> yeah. I'm on it. Uh, yeah. Jokes, man. Jokes. Well, uh, I do think it's safe to say that what you're most known for at this point, maybe, is being the founder and artistic director of Taiwo, the Toronto Youth Wind Orchestra. And we have to congratulate you on your 30th anniversary. This is your 30th Ooh. season. Woohoo. So Insert fireworks sounds <laughs> so we would love to hear about um how and why you started the ensemble initially i know you you spoke about that a little bit but also how it's grown since then and maybe what you see in the program's future as well thank you for allowing me to talk about this because the the Toronto Youth wind orchestra is 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 my joy and and uh, and i have other joys as well with other orchestras which i'll talk about later on but Taiwo began because, um, well, it was modeled after the Toronto Symphony Youth Orchestra. Let's start there. <clears throat> so I joined TSYO years ago as a percussionist and, and oh man, just crazy times in that orchestra. I had so much fun, I learned so much. It was just fantastic. So uh, I thought, wouldn't it be great to have an experience like this, but with wind ensemble music? And my, my, my motivation was not because, you know, I liked wind ensemble music in any way, shape or form. I was thinking more because wind ensemble music had better percussion parts and orchestral parts. This is, this is my 17 year old brain working, please. So, so you know, please don't write letters or, or whatever else. I was, I, my mind was that uh, if we played, you know, like variation of the Korean folk song or, or any number of things that had some great percussion parts, and we could do that at a level with so many great musicians. Wouldn't that be exciting, says Colin Clark, 17 years of age. So I started fabricating an idea, putting together a group modeled after the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, but for wind players, with the hopes that I would get to sit in the back of the percussion section and steal all the good parts. That was my, that was my initial motivation for starting this ensemble. Uh, tangential to that was the Peel District School Honor Band, this Peel District School Board Honor Band, which was conducted by uh, Bramwell Smith. And uh, this group was, again, it was great to have uh, a place where we could all go and make music. And that was a wonderful experience for me. And I fell in love, you know, uh, with Bram and his style of conducting and his enthusiasm, like right out of the gate. He, this guy was just, again, as I mentioned already, just, just, just what, what a great, great human being. So uh, the Peel Honor Band collapsed because there was no funding for it. So that it stopped after, you know, by the time I got there. It'd be going for a while, but by the time I got there, it was only like, you know, it's only there for one year sort of thing. So to me, there was a niche that could be filled between, you know, orchestral education that was happening 
under the guise of the you know, TSYO and, and many other youth orchestras, you know, Niagara, Hamilton, you know, they have the youth orchestras with that sort of a platform. On top of that, uh, looking at the fact that we used to have an honor band in, in Rampton, which doesn't exist anymore, maybe there's room for a group like this that exists to capture the, the enthusiasm of young people who want to play more band music. Of course, a lot of the uh, noise I got from people who were talking to me, my contemporary would say, if kids are getting um, music in schools, if they're already going to schools that have band programs, why would they want to go to another ensemble on a weekend and play more band music? They can understand a symphony orchestra setting because before I got to uh, TSYO or the Hamilton Philharmonic Youth Orchestra, I spent time over there as well. You know, I hadn't played in an orchestra before, so that makes sense for an orchestra community ensemble. But for a band, who's going who's to want to join and then also spend money to play in a band, you know, when they have that thing at school? And I struggled with that for a while, but the idea was to, to reach a level of excellence where we can do things that, you know, you don't really get at the high school level. And again, I didn't think I was the kind of person to lead them to that level. Again, Brian was my main guy. But uh, that was the origins behind wanting to start an ensemble like this. Mm -hmm. And one of the most special things about this, uh, in my mind, was that this would be, this would be, um, the Toronto Youth Wind Orchestra, like most groups like this, like like you look, we talk like you know NYB or TSYO or Dennis Wick Orchestra. It's it's like it's like Comic Con without the costume. <laughs> and this is what I mean by that. When you think about the, the, the microcosm that is high school, the high school life, right? Um, I was I was a big band geek in high school, and that was in in my time was was, was a bit of a pejorative. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a positive thing. I have no idea if you guys had this experience at all, but in my day, in certain pockets of my world, you know, to be a, to be a musician who wanted to play band music was, was just like, you know, it was, it was ridiculous. Who does that? You know, who wants to play in a band? You know, one of the gigs or whatever else. And I, and I was called everything. And again, it wasn't the most happy place in the world. I remember, I remember one time I was in high school, I, I was uh, on the bus ride home coming from a basketball game. I played basketball in school and I'm we're on the bus ride home, we won the game. So we're all excited and looked like, you know, whatever else. And I had headphones on, listening to my Walkman. Now, Walkman is, a, is an iPod. <laughs> we're in the future now. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Good. <laughs> but uh, this is my Walkman. And I put my head, I take my headphones off and put it down just for a second so I can change the cassette tape, right? The guy next to me picks up the, the headphones. I hadn't stopped playing yet. He puts on the headphones and he goes, what is this? What, what are you listening to? Is this Mozart? And he turns to, to my voice, like, what you? and he looked at me and said, like, you know, you're listening to Mozart? Like, who listens to Mozart? Like, and he fully expected to hear, like, you know, DMC or KRS-One or any sort of, like, <laughs> which I was down with as well. I love that stuff. I loved hip-hop when yeah. I was a kid. I listened to it all the time, but it just so happens I was in the mood for something different. And he heard that and immediately mocked me. He's like, you know, I can't believe you listen to, like, who listens to Mozart? And just to be clear, it was actually Brahms, not Mozart, but I wasn't, that was, that was not the salient point at that point in time, so, so I let it go. So, I mean, it was, it was going to a place where everyone wants to be there. And even in my high school band, and you may have had this experience, there's some kids in the high school band who they're there and I'm glad they're there, but they're there to get a mark or they're there to get an arts credit or they're there, like, you know, because 
whatever else. And there's nothing wrong with that, but they don't really spend a lot of time practicing the part. Even though the teacher says, you know, come and practice, they don't really do that. So to go into an environment, an honor band, uh, uh, the National Youth Band, or Dennis Wick, Wind Orchestra, TSYO, anything like that, you are at a place where everyone feels the same way about making music. So radical gates going to be good. Secondly, you're all welcome. You know, when you, when you join this ensemble, it doesn't matter where you come from, like, you know, or, or how tall you are or whatever this or that's, you're all welcome. Come in and join us so we can make music together. We're all geeks in a land that we create and it's a safe place for us to be, to express our geekhood on the, <laughs> at the temple of like, you know, a band music or orchestra music, whatever else. So, so there was something special to me about having a place like that to go uh, for, for music making. And, and that's part of the reason why I felt necessary that the window should exist that way. Uh, I, I often say, I feel like I'm the, the, the Michael Scott of the band world, of the, of the music <laughs> world, uh, because all Michael Scott ever wanted at his core was just to have a place where his friends can get together and just coexist sort of thing yeah. in a happy place. So for me, you know, my Dunder Mifflin is, is, the, is the rehearsal hall, you know, <laughs> when the Windows musicians show up sort of thing. And over the 30 years, we've had our own Dwights and Pams and uh, <laughs> whatever else. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, but um, it was a place where we could just get together with people I enjoyed spending time with and making music. It was as simple as that. And that's where it began. So, so it, it brings me so much joy to know that you know, over three decades, it's now continued where people just enjoy getting together. And, and as you both well know, that the Toronto Twin Orchestra organization has multiple ensembles now. So we have a the senior wind orchestra, which I conduct, and the symphonic wind orchestra, our intermediate group, uh, uh, championed by uh, Mr. Dan Horner, uh, and uh, the, the concert winds, which is conducted right now by Jessica Puskar, who is an alumnus of the wind orchestra. We have our Metropolitan Winds, which is a community band born out of people who graduated from the wind orchestra, went off, went to school, had a life, got a career, you know, had a family, came back and said, I love to keep making music. And mm -hmm. they came back. So we started another ensemble. I think Kate, you played at one point in time in that group. So for a little bit, yeah. Exactly. For like a, again a weekend. But like, you know, it was, <laughs> it was, it was that's that's the breadth of our, our organization. And it it means so much to me that we've grown from a small ensemble like our first version of the winter had 13 people in it and we were doing, you know, host first suite. And, <laughs> and it didn't make sense at that point in time, but it's grown obviously over the years. Well, we're doing wonderful things. And I mean, wonderful things at every single level of the ensemble. I love what the concert winds are doing with their group. And there's something that I, I said this, I, I gave us a, a talk at the OBA uh, uh, last fall. And I said that uh, beginning band teachers like there's a special place in heaven for beginning band teachers. There really is, because I, I can't do that. That's my kryptonite. Yeah. You put me into a room and say, teach those kids how to make music, and they've never seen a saxophone before or don't know what the fingers on trumpet is, <laughs> I, would, I would crawl into my shell and, 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 and cry uh, unabashedly. I don't know how to do that. And people who work <laughs> with young people to bring them into the world of music making and, and talking strings or vocal or, 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 in this case, band, there's a special place in heaven for you folks because you are amazing people. <laughs> so I, 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 I love, I get a lot of joy from seeing, you know, our continent musicians, you know, on their first stages in the world of making music, our symphonic wind musicians who are doing so many crazy things. In fact, I got a, I got a statistic last, um, last year at the Symphonic Winds in 2019 was the largest community youth band in the province. Wow. It was, it was, wow. It was like 126 kids, all community musicians who came together to make music. 
I, I don't know how to confirm that statistic. I'd be looking around. But when someone said that to me, I thought, like, wow, that's fantastic. And again, we began a while ago with 13 players, you know, in some sort of thing in, in Toronto or in, in, in Brampton to have, uh, you know, like, wow, that's fantastic. This, this makes, makes, makes means the world to me. Uh, of course, most of them are flutes. Well, they can't do anything about that. <laughs> it's a fantastic thing to have so many people making music. And then the Senior Wind Orchestra doing their things there and uh, the Metropolitan Winds, adults making music. I mean, music is a, is a something, it's, it's a lifetime thing. It's a lifetime joy, right? You can make that mm-hmm. for years. So when we, as music educators, and I know both of you have been that experience, uh, when we as music educators put an instrument in a, in a child's hand, that's a gift that they can have for the rest of their life. That's something they could do for decades on end. And that's something special. So, so to be uh, at the, uh, involved in an organization that facilitates that uh, brings me no end of joy. No, it's, it's, a, it's pretty amazing. And I, I know being uh, not from Ontario and being from PEI, which I'll talk about later, but um, I was always immensely jealous <laughs> of seeing like programs like the one that you created and and to think about i I think i I was last week i was looking at some of the some old pictures on on your facebook page and and on the website and just to see the the alumni who have gone on to do amazing musical things uh we talk about like vanessa fralick whoever it is you know like there's just so many amazing musicians and music educators and and people who just support the arts uh, which is, you know, equally as important as producing musicians um, that, that you've you've put through your program. And it's it's really great to see. I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm so glad you said that, because uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned people who gone into music and not because because I mean, we have a wonderful uh, alumni list. I mean, the, the, the Gabe Bradford's, the, the Vanessa Felix, the Sarah Jeffries, there's so many people who have gone through our program and have gone on to do amazing things. But uh, equally as important are people who, like the David Lums, who played in the Wind Orchestra years ago, and he's a fantastic music educator. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, James Klodnicki, who's, I, think, I believe, at Unionville High School, and whatever else. All these musicians, like several musicians, who went to become uh, educators themselves. And that, to me, is just as important as those who go on into doing, you know, like a professional musician or whatever else. And, of course, there's others, as you say, like, you know, they go off to do other things, you know, uh, sciences, uh, law, whatever else, but they have music in their hearts. And I look at my, my, my alumni band, the, the, the Metropolitan Winds, which began as an alumni band. But, uh, yeah, half of them are not, you know, like the majority of them are not musicians, you know, in the trade. They, they are amateur musicians who love and have a joy for making music. So we have doctors and lawyers and a fireman and firewoman and, uh, and so many people who have these extraordinary eclectic careers and we're all joined together because we all have a love for music making. So, so yeah, that, that makes me a very proud papa. Proud papa. <laughs> and, sp- and speaking of extraordinary and eclectic careers, uh-huh. <laughs> I once again, thank you. I once again have to point out my amazing segue. <laughs> Uh, and at some point, I'll stop pointing it out so it actually does its purpose. But anyway, um, I know <laughs> whenever whenever I first decided I wanted to do, I wanted to work with bands. There was there was this idea of there's one way to do it. You go be a music teacher, and then you go do this, and then you go do that, and then you get a university job, and that's how you do it. Um, and then I quickly uh, began to realize after meeting you. And especially when I moved to Toronto, um, 
realizing that, no, there's another way. <laughs> and you are my first example of like a real entrepreneurial conductor, you know, building, building your own career and, and not waiting for someone to knock on your door. And that, I know that's something that Kate and I are both very passionate about. Uh, so I was wondering if, if you would mind talking about uh, what led you to a freelance career and maybe just how you go about piecing together the puzzle that is <laughs> a freelance career. Because, you, you know, you have, like you mentioned, you have orchestras and bands and yep. you have lots of stuff. Yep, I work with choirs as well. Um, I, I, I got to tell you, huh, I think I think my career is empirical proof that God exists <laughs> because I am blessed. I am very blessed. I love my life. And until recently, I've, I've never occurred. I've never occurred to think of myself as an entrepreneur. I just, I just love doing what I do. I mean, and I, mm -hmm. and, I, and if I, if I may for a second, I can turn this back at the two of you because <laughs> you two are amazing to me. And uh, I know your listeners are who you are and what you do, but uh, from my vantage point, allow me because a couple seconds to say, uh, Dylan, when I first met you, I mean, man, you, you redefined hustle. I'm like, you like, you know, you, <laughs> you knew what you wanted to do with yourself. You knew how you had to get there. So what you would do is you'd hand out the faculty music and, you know, go to uh, rehearsals and absorb the Jeff Reynolds and the Julian McKay's of the world and absorb what they do. You would, you would go to Ottawa and, and, you know, and watch the Dennis Wick Orchestra, you know, and, and, and sit on rehearsals or whatever else. I mean, that's fabulous. And then before you know it, all of a sudden you, you are adjudicating at festivals and you and I are sharing the panel at various festivals together. Yeah. And then before you know it, you're off teaching at, at university level. That's fantastic. And I believe, I think you're at two schools, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. uh, Laurentian and, 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 the, and the college, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Right? Yeah. So, so that to me is amazing. And Kate, I'm not sure if this is commonplace and I hope I'm not outing by doing this, but I remember you saying to someone at some point in time that, all I want to do with myself is get to a point where all I, all I have to do is, is write music on a building mm -hmm. career where I can do what I love and just do that. And, and yep. that, those words were poignant to me. I can't remember where I was when I heard them, but look what you've done with yourself. It's extraordinary. So, so when you guys look at me and say like, you know, Hey, how did you put together the puzzle to create a career? <laughs> I, I wish I had half your talent. I wish I had half your <laughs> Your, your ability. I wish you could ask me this question 30 years ago because I don't know how I felt. <laughs> I, I fell into my career and, and I don't mean to diminish in any way my, my or trivialize my, my success, but, but doors continue to open for me in a way that I'm eternally thankful for. I, I thank, I hope you don't mind me saying that, I thank God for being able to guide me through these things because you're right. I've, I've had not the most, I've not had the most traditional of, of, uh, of uh, journeys when it comes to uh, arriving where I am. I put together this, this, this ensemble and I love doing it. And from doing it, I, I got noticed, you know, people would say, hey, listen, I hear this guy who's doing this thing with this group over here. Um, I want him to do that with my group. So I get invitations to walk, work with, you know, various schools and do workshops sort of thing. And then word got out and like, you know, uh, we should bring him to our camera. We should bring him to guest conduct the orchestra or whatever else. And, and then, you know, we should have him adjudicate at a festival sort of thing. So, so fast forward, you know, uh, uh, 30 some odd years, I'm, I'm, I'm living a life that never occurred to me could exist. Right. It never occurred to me that I could live a life doing exactly what I wanted to do, living the dream by waking up most mornings, not during a pandemic, but certainly <laughs> when, when things are okay, uh, to, to go out and collaborate with people, to make music, to make glorious music. I mean, it's, I mean, oh gosh. I remember one morning, 
if, you'll, if, if I may digress for a second, I remember one morning I was uh, with my orchestra in Hamilton, the Hamilton Philharmonic Youth Orchestra, and we're working on Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, second movement. And it's a rainy Saturday morning, and the kids, you know, they, they arrived and, 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 and they, they sit down and they're playing. And we played the second movement, the first, like the first maybe 15 bars, which begins with like a cello and viola uh, uh, idea. And then it opens up with a full string orchestra, and the winds and brass come in, and it's just gorgeous. Or playing music that's 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 you know that's of a different era, of a different time, from a man who lived in a different country from several years ago, and it felt like at, if, at that moment it felt like we were getting this big orchestral hug. Like it felt so, it felt so amazing and tangled to me. I did something that if my professors are listening, they're going to hate me for this. But I did something I, you shouldn't do as a conductor. Or you're taught to do as a conductor. I stopped the rehearsal just to say, I can't believe how lucky we are. You're taught as a conductor, like, you know, you, you use rehearsals, be very efficient, so like, you know, don't chatter and don't crack jokes and, you know, don't do, don't do a column. But I stopped the rehearsal specifically to say, I can't believe how lucky we are to get together and play this amazing music as a group and you guys sound fantastic and of course i'm sure they went home and said i think colin like you know needs more you know of his medication i think he's, I think he's okay <laughs> but but i really believe that that was the, the the genesis of my career being in a place with my high school teacher with with, with bram smith with uh the david zapers and the joaquin valdepenas who conducted tsyo in those days watching people like uh mark hopkins and 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 so many fascinating people stephen chanette who just had this 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 raw passion for making good music and mm -hmm. it just it just hit me in that moment, in that moment with the with the orchestra on a rainy Saturday morning when everyone didn't get enough sleep the night before and they had to deal with me for three hours. It was just fantastic. And, and the next day, I went to a wind orchestra rehearsal and we were having a hard time getting through just a bunch of hard repertoire. We were working on, let's see if I can do this. We were working on um, uh, Luis Serrano Alarcón's uh, oh, piece called Duende. Yeah, I love it. A massive Duende. piece of music. And we're also doing like, uh, I think, Frenergy by John Astachio, uh, expertly uh, uh, transcribed by Fraser Linklater. But we're putting we're together some heavy repertoire. Yeah. So at the last minute, I called my librarian and said, can you please bring this piece to rehearsal for me? I just want to do, I just want to do this. So in the middle of us trying to put all this crap together, not crap, good crap, but like, you know, crap. <laughs> Um, I, I said, take out this piece of music. Let's just play it through and just, just see what happens. The piece was a piece, which everyone knows, uh, uh, by my friend Ken Kennelly, uh, called Feeling Vitae by Kenley Christofferson. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and I just, I just, let's just play this and see what happens. And I, I had the joy of having an ensemble who could just read it through and it sounded good already. And we had a couple of things we did make up whatever else, but we, we made good music right there. So I stopped in the middle of the piece and said, how lucky are we to be able to assemble? I pull out a piece of music, the last music, at the last minute, my poor li my librarian, but I pull out a piece of music at the last minute and say, let's play this through and joy occurs. And again, another big symphonic hug happened. And it was one of those things where I thought, you know, how could, how could you not want to do this? If it was possible to, and this is what most administrators and most board of directors and most, you know, whatever else don't get. Cause that passion, that feeling, that joy is 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 tangible it's it's something that i think is an important part of what i am as a musician so that's where i began my career it's just trying just trying to replicate those moments of time and again collect my friends get together whomever you are hey you play violin hey you play viola hey you play baritone sax let's get together and make some music 
So I, I can't say with any certainty right. that I had a plan at 19 years of age, that I had to go here and do this and study that and conduct this and whatever else. And then in, in about seven or eight years, I'll be at IMC doing the symphony orchestra. <laughs> I'll, I'll, be at the, I'll be, you know, at music fest, adjudicating at the national level. I, it never occurred to me right. that this would happen to my life. So I thank God uh, constantly for the, for the life that, he, that I have now. I love my life. That's amazing. Because I, yeah. And thank you for your very kind words to us. So yeah, I just copied you. So um, yeah. <laughs> you owe me money, buddy. Yeah. It's a, you didn't get it? It's in the mail. Sorry. Anyway. No, I mean, yeah, thank you so much for what you said. And, and just what I hear from all of that is that it started with joy. It started with, you know, a desire to recreate the most joyful and magical experiences that you had and to want to recreate those for others. I think that's what Dylan and I both are doing too, is we you know, had a spark. And then we've just been chasing that spark ever since and accidentally sort of creating a career along the way. And it's, it's awesome to know that, that you've experienced it that way as well. Well, I'm, I'm humbled by any suggestion that I was in any way, uh, an influence to either one of you. I don't believe that at all because Dylan, again, you, you amazed. Oh, just wait, really just amazing. wait. And, <laughs> and Kate, same things times two. I like you better than I like Dylan, but <laughs> you're just extraordinary at what you do. And, and, and did you get my video by the way of the wind orchestra? I don't know if you got that or not. I don't think so. Okay. We'll have we'll have to no. touch base about it after. No, I'm gonna touch base about it right now. Screw that. Uh, <laughs> I sent an email, and, and I'll send you the email again. Uh, sure. A video that one of my musicians took uh, last year at this time it was our last rehearsal before the pandemic hit, and at that rehearsal it was uh, International Women's Day. So mm -hmm. once again, I called my I called my librarian at the last minute, not my poor librarian, and said I want to bring this piece to rehearsal, have it ready for the top of rehearsal. Uh, uh, God love you, Krista. I, wherever you are, you're a fantastic human being. <laughs> so we, we pulled out a piece by a female Canadian composer, and I said, in in salute of International Women's Day, let's read this piece by a, a prominent female composer. She's one of us. She's she's from our area, and just read it through. And one of my musicians took a video of like the last like lap, like some segment of that, and I sent it to. You. So I'll say it to you again. But the oh, reason why it's significant, for me at least, uh, number one, it was the last sound we made as an ensemble before the pandemic hit. So watching that video just brings fills with a different kind of joy. It's, it's a strange, surreal feeling, but it's fantastic. And number two, uh, you know, uh, the world has brought me to a point where here I am to spend time with you and Dylan, and you are who you are, and you're amazing. And and uh, it's, it's great that I had a chance to ex share that space with you and your creativity with my musicians. So that's why I sent to you and that's why I want to talk about it now. Sorry if I was <laughs> Thank you. No, that's so nice. <laughs> really appreciate that. Um, so speaking of that, actually, uh, many of us that aren't necessarily connected to one full-time position, you know, in, in life, uh, have had to find new ways of pivoting during the pandemic, mm -hmm. as you brought it up. Uh, so we know you've been quite busy and we're wondering how you went about pivoting certain aspects of your freelance life around this temporary, but very different new world that we're in right now. <sighs> that's, that's a hard question to answer. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I'll be upfront, I struggle. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's, it's difficult to spend a lifetime um, dedicating yourself to something that requires the activity of others mm -hmm. to, to being isolated uh, and being unable to, to do what you do you know, well and what you live and love. So I struggled. Now, the good news is 
um, my, my, first of all, I've done a lot of uh, workshops. So, so uh, thank goodness for technology because I've, I've had the opportunity to be able to connect with people uh, through Zoom and what have you. So I've been invited, invited into schools, uh, to universities and, and, and high schools to do workshops. Uh, I think we're all on the same circuit right now because, you know, I, 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 as we said, I know Dylan and you, Kate, are both doing the same thing. So I've been able to sustain some sense of relevancy and sanity by doing that uh, with schools, which is fantastic. Um, but in terms of a pivot, oh, and I should say that uh, uh, having done online workshops, it's given me some some fertile ideas for possible things I can do in the future. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I mean, we have to, the thing about, you know, uh, adversity is that, you know, it's an opportunity for you to to grow, to pivot, to to be creative and find ways around things. So I've been playing with some ideas, which which I'm, I'm you know, I may try to implement down the road. Even when we get back to, you know, uh, synchronous learning, I may try to launch some ideas with my organizations or, you know, whatever else privately uh, as things that we can think in the back where if this ever happens again, you know, hopefully this is the our, our only pandemic in our lifetime, but you know, whatever, who knows, right? So I've had some time to think about different ways of doing things, but the reality is what, what's at my core is is making music in this context. And it doesn't matter who it is, amateur, professional, this this is what I do, this is what I love. So I, I, I struggled quite a bit trying to make sense of a world where everything had a transition to online. Yeah. And I mean, if you, if you would ask me a year, actually my board did ask me a year ago, you know, uh, we're looking at a future where your rehearsals, Colin, will be online and uh, there'll be no, you know, interaction uh, in person, uh, not even cohorts, like there's, there'll be absolutely none for you. And uh, I'm, I'm, and, and you have to find a way to make that, I don't know, um, interesting for musicians. I'm thinking there's no way in the world kids are going to come to my, sorry, anyone who's under 30 to me as a kid. So there's no way <laughs> in the world that kids are going to come to any of my programs and pay money to sit in front of a computer and make music online. And I, I tell you, if someone says virtual orchestra one more time, I'm going to <laughs> I can't tell you how many times someone said, Colin, just do this. You know, you know, Jimmy and Johnny and Sarah can put together, can put together and you're making music. No, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great thing to look at. And I don't, I don't bemoan that. Thankfully, it's a way of connecting with our musicians. But as musicians, we know that's not, we know that's not how you make music, right? So, or that's not, that's the most, that's not the most uh, uh, inviting way to make music, the most satisfying way to make music. But uh, yeah, that was the reality. My board uh, uh, said flatly, you know, you're looking at a future where unfortunately you, you, everything's gonna be transitioning to online and you'll have to find a way to make rehearsals meaningful, even though you're online. And it was strange. It, it, was, it was something that if you had talked to me a year ago, I wouldn't have predicted this would happen. The strangest thing, something revealed itself during the pandemic, which has been absolutely mind blowing for me. And this has occurred to me maybe five days ago, if you can believe this. Um, what the pandemic has done, it's amplified what was already there. So if, if you were in a, you know, like a, if, you, if you have problems being alone, if you live alone, you're by yourself, uh, you know, it's gonna amplify that. It can be more by yourself. If you have troubles in your marriage, I don't, I'm especially here, but I've been reading reports on CBC, whatever else, right. you know, there'll be more, uh, more, there'll be more challenges there. It's just the way the pandemic, the way it happened, but also it revealed positive things as well. And, it, it's amazing how um, the musicians in my online rehearsal uh, look forward to rehearsals. I didn't think this would happen. 
And I even asked the musicians, I asked my personnel manager to do a report on, on um, uh, attendance to see how things were going there in attendance. Statistically, I, I can't believe this. We have better attendance now <laughs> than we did at this time last year yeah. and the year before. And I'm like, well, how is that even possible? Because like, we, we're not together. We're not making music in a conventional way. How is it possible that these musicians are actually coming to more rehearsals and are more engaged in a situation where I continually forget to unmute? And I have to <laughs> <laughs> that happens every bloody rehearsal. It makes me angry. But but uh, what was revealed to me in this uh, in this uh, uh, um, uh, segment was that the 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 evidence in my organizations, and this is true for all music educators, I believe, I want to believe, is that it's not about the musical product. It's If you run a program that's uh, based and thrives on relationships and the music is second, then you'll always come out ahead, mm -hmm. even in the pandemic. And mm -hmm. that's the thing that if I, I didn't think would ever happen to me. The musicians, I even asked them, like, you know, do you, are, are you enjoying this? Do you want to be here? Should we take a couple of weeks off? I'm like, no, why would we take a couple of weeks off? We're looking forward to this. I spoke to some of the members of my, my youth orchestra in Oakville, and some of the parents came back and said, you know, my kid looks forward to Tuesday evening rehearsals. It's an hour and 15 minutes. And all I do is like, you know, we play recordings, we play videos, we can't play together, but we try the best we can sort of thing. And, uh, you know, she looks forward to Tuesday evening rehearsals. I asked the orchestra, do you want to take a break? Do you want to take a couple weekends off? No, no, we look forward to this. Tyrell, same thing. And then the Symphonic Wings with Dan, he like has almost 70 kids yeah. in his ensemble and they're all there. They're all coming to rehearsals. And I can't believe that. So it was, it, it was dawn on me, made available, made, made real to me by a, a friend of mine who was speaking just a couple of days ago because I think us as educators, the musical component is important, but we, we, if we connect with our musicians, you know, music education is not about music or about education. It's about relationships. It's about making relationships and those connections. If you can make those connections with your people, then, then you're going to go, you're going to go far. We, we don't utilize uh, people to make great music. We as educators utilize music to make great people. Mm -hmm. And if we connect with people in that way, then, then we, we are pandemic proof. The music we can make continue on no matter what happens to us. So imagine what's going to happen when we finally get out of this pandemic. I'm looking forward to that oh moment. Oh my gosh! But, oh, uh, aren't we all? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I know. It's like <laughs> say something we don't know, Colin. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's amazing that in some way, shape, or form, um, we are. I, I caution to use the word thriving, but we are doing well despite the the the, the challenges. It's slightly adversity. We are doing well, and I haven't seen a Winnerksha musician in person in over a year. And we're still connecting in a magical way, which is exciting to me. My, my orchestra in Oakville, we actually had, luckily, we actually had some in-person rehearsals in, in October, November, right. because we just said, as we made the decision, we were not gonna have any wins in the rehearsals, just the strings. So me and my colleague, our string orchestras were rehearsing together for about two months. Then then the, 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 uh, the, the provincial lockdown came in, so we had to stop that. But we're looking at reopening rehearsals again in about three weeks' time, and, and that's going to be a happy day when it comes together. But to make music, surviving online, I couldn't believe how uh, enthusiastic the kids are. And, and, and they just get together, and they want to connect with someone. And because, you know, we put an emphasis on relationships, that's, that's just something special. So yeah. that's, that's, my, that's my answer to your, your fantastic question, which I don't think we actually answered your question. But, uh, no, you did. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you. No, that's a great answer. And I'm just thinking... Um, if if TA Blakelock High School is listening right now, they're going to be thinking I I went into the future and stole everything you said because I, I was <laughs> talking about a lot of what you just mentioned to them and how 
um, at the beginning of the semester with me, and you're going to hate me right now when I tell you this, but I've been in person the whole time. So I've been with my Cambrian College Wind Ensemble. We have little, oh. we have a little group and we're in booths and we got masks and we got the whole deal going on. Um, Good for you. That's fantastic. But yeah, you would think. But at the beginning of the year, I was so, I was just an angry person. And, you know, it was probably the pandemic was probably all that stuff. And I never once looked in at myself. I first said, what? This is not the excellence that we get. Like, you need to practice more. You need to do this. Duh. Like, it's all your fault. And yep. then uh, and then one day, it might have been after I talked to uh, to Cynthia Johnson-Turner. But uh, I had seen her post something basically saying, we can't do what I've been doing. And I went in and I apologized to them. And from that point on, and what I told T.A. Blakelock this week was, my job this year especially is to create great human beings, like to support them, to let this be a band room, just like we're in now, uh, a place where they can be themselves and not have to worry about, you know, the world pandemic outside of the door. Right. Um, so yeah, so exactly what you're saying. And I'm so grateful that you're you were real with us and not just being like, well, you know, I'm doing lots of workshops and I'm doing this. No, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. I'm making millions. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, uh, but no, and it's, it's a really important thing to, to realize, to hear and, uh, and, and all that stuff. Um, yeah. one thing I want to say just, you know, it's rare, it's rare that we get guests that shower us <laughs> with, with compliments like you have, but I want to take this time, one of many, to shower you with uh, compliments. And actually, I think I'm going to tell you something that you don't know, and I've never actually gotten to tell you. Growing up in PEI, we have great band programs, which is awesome. And yes, you do. PEI has some great yeah. programs. And we have lots of little festivals and things. So I remember being a grade seven student, and I was sitting on the stage of the Confederation Center of the Arts, playing yeah. my little trumpet, making fart sounds. And this guy with dreads came on stage. And I'll be really honest. I think you were probably the first black person I ever saw. Because in PEI, there's, you know, it's it's very white. I just did. Yeah. And I was just like, whoa, who is this guy? And uh, you were my first adjudicator. You were my very first adjudicator that I ever had. You're kidding. Yeah. And, uh, and I was thinking about it this week, especially, of course. And um, you were also my first adjudicating colleague. So whenever I was uh, in Halifax and started working as an adjudicator, you yep. were there. And actually, at at every point in my musical education, you were there at one point or another. So in that early time, you were there. At Mount Allison, you came in and did a conducting workshop with I Wesley Ferreira. And I was a student at that time. And that I was remember. one of the moments that I was like, oh, that's that's what I want to do. <laughs> And I was I was so early in my conducting that I did I didn't even conduct for you that at that time, but uh, yeah. And then uh, and now and now you you know we get to work with each other. You occasionally hire me for your festival. So just Absolutely. to th think about the crazy full circle kind of story of that. And I just want to thank you for being a constant example for uh, not not like the whole music thing, but just to be a an amazing joyful person. And and for someone for me to emulate whenever I am, you know, working with students uh, every week, uh, I really think back to to the things that that you've done for me as a very young student and the things you've done for me as a professional are, are greatly appreciated. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I, I that. Wow. You, I, I know this is a podcast, but this is my brain exploding. <laughs> that was oh, 
Dylan, thank you. That that means so much to me. That really means so much to me. And and uh, uh, we've worked together on the adjudication panel. I, like as you said, I've had you at, at uh, the Golden Horseshoe to yep. to uh, to work there. And and nothing but glowing things everywhere I go about the things that you do with the people you work with. Everywhere I just copy I go, you. Once again, just copy you. That's all I do. Which, which, <laughs> which is why I want to talk about payment. Because you always... <laughs> all the royalties. Well, but yeah. But it's... Oh, man. Oh, you are amazing. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's why I like this podcast because I really take this opportunity to thank the people who have like who have done things for, well, for me and for Kate at, at this point because now <laughs> I'm not the only one running this show here. Um, but speaking of adjudicating, you are a very, I mean, across the country, people know you through through your adjudicating, through your clinics. Um, so I was wondering if if you could talk about what you see your role as an adjudicator is, and and maybe for our music teachers uh, out there, what what are you looking for and listening for in a, I put good performance, but maybe a great performance? <laughs> um, let, let me answer your second question first, if sure. I may. Uh, what am I looking for in a good performance? Uh, this, this is going to sound like an awful answer, but this is the best that I can cop with at, at this point in time. I just want to be, what's the word, moved or inspired. And, and that's what music has been to me. If I go back to my whole story from, you know, my grade nine days, you know, music is a, is a communicative art. We're taking what we do through our instruments and telling a story or connecting with the audiences. So what I want from an ensemble is the connection, if at all possible. And this is going to be somewhat controversial to say, but uh, I've been to festivals where they have, for example, you know, uh, B200, B400, whatever else sort of thing. I'd love to one day see a festival where none of that happens, where ensemble just comes to a festival and just makes music. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't tell you, having now run a festival, how many teachers I see who, who call me up and say, you know, Colin, I, I want to I play this piece and it's level 300, but I also want, but the kids love this piece and it's 200. So it's yeah. not our level. So what should we do? And, and then this is not on the syllabus. So, so you know, you know, what are the rules here? I, and what I want after, like, you know, when I'm adjudicating at a festival, I'm in my, like, you know, my sixth hour of adjudicating. <laughs> yeah. What I want is just to get a connection from the musicians to make it move. It's not always possible, mind you. So, so but that's why I'm looking forward to anything else, just to find a moment that kind of makes me go, yeah, you guys get it. And I love that about you. And it may not happen for every single piece. It may not happen for every single performance, but that's what I'm going for. I'm looking for that. Now, as a roadmap to that, this is where I could break it down and say, here are things that make me think about good sound or whatever else. So then we go through the, you know, the, and you both know this, the tone production, intonation, balance, blend. That's where we can break it down to the mechanics and say, here's how we can get to a, you know, a stronger performance sort of thing and, 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 and galvanize as a group but uh, I, I think it was Beethoven that said, like, you know, to play, uh, I'm paraphrasing, uh, to, to, uh, to play the right notes is one thing, but to play without passion is, is, is unforgivable. Someone look up that quote. I, don't, I think it's pretty, pretty much Beethoven. We'll get our fact checkers on that. Thank you very much. <laughs> but, but to me, it, it's, to me it's, it's less about the notes and more about somehow making connection. And by way of a story, and again, cut me off, I'm going too long. Uh, I, I, I have a great story 
that happened just a year ago, before the, before the, everything shut down. There was this grade six band, who had the beginner band, and they'd never been to a festival before. It was their first time ever at a festival. And they asked, the teacher asked me to come in, it was an all-girls school, they asked me to come in, just do a couple of workshops with them to help them prep for, you know, a, a festival. What does the adjudicator look for? Let's rehearse these things, let's talk about this, whatever else. So they're all gung-ho, ready to go to the festival. They arrive at the festival. This is actually the, the OBA festival in Markham. Mm -hmm. And they arrive at the festival, and I, 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 I didn't adjudicate them. I was there to watch and support them sort of thing. But walking on stage, they looked horrified. <laughs> they were so afraid. And uh, what grade, how old are you when you're six, uh, grade six? Is that like, like eight? Like, like 12, maybe. Okay, okay. so I mean, 11. imagine these little kids walking on stage and, and the OBA has a great job of like, you know, making sure that they cycle in an audience. They're fantastic at that. So like, you know, when they walk into the stage, the, the, the sound, the, the, sorry, the stage for the performance, there's like a bunch of schools sitting in chairs all over the place. It's a full house. There's a big table, a loft, you know, above the, the audience where the adjudicators sit, like, you know, it's like it's, it's a it's big battle of place. And, and it, it, it can be intimidating, I suppose. When the girls walked in and sat down, they were just, you could see it on their face, they were just terrified. Mm -hmm. And I learned later that before they walked onto that stage, one of their kids actually got sick. She went to the bathroom and threw up. She was so scared. And of course, these girls were like, you know, like, oh, she, she's one of us. We can't go on stage without her. But no, remember what Mr. Clark said? We have to go on the stage right away because the adjudicators left that sort of thing. We can't be late, but we can't leave her behind, but we can't be late. Oh no, what do we do? So there was all this angst going on with these kids going on stage, and you could see them. The teacher was fantastic. She's trying to, you know, calm them down and it's gonna be fun or whatever else. But they 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 were like stone cold scared, and you could see it on every single face. So they began to play, and after a while, they began to relax. And there were some uncomfortable things musically in the first uh, couple of moments. But then, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, something clicked, and they were playing. They were playing like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> These are beginner band kids who began to pick up their instruments like like a few months before that started, like September of that time. This is like February, March by the time they're performing here, and and they're 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 doing everything, and and they they did uh, oh, see if I can remember this. I think they did Anne McGinty's African Folk Trilogy, I believe, if memory serves. And and they were like swaying back and forth finally. Like, you know, <laughs> and McGinty's piece has this thing where their kids like, you know, stomp their feet and they clap their hands and whatever else. And they were getting into it. Was it flawless? No. Were there intonation problems? Absolutely. But they were feeling it. They were moving. They were grooving. And it was one of the best performances. And I'm not being, this is not hyperbole here. This is one of the best performances I've viewed in my life. Mm -hmm. It was such an extraordinary experience for me to watch these girls face their fear, rise to the occasion, and make a connection. Now, after they finished performing, they as soon as the music stopped, and they were told not to move at the end of the performance, I wonder where they got that from, they told not to move at the end of the performance, but as soon as they were allowed to move, all of them looked directly at their teacher. And they're looking like, you know, <laughs> Yes, how did we do? Was that that all their faces like, you know, how did we do? Are we okay? Are we okay? And I'm not sure what the teacher did, but she either did or said something. And all the kids did this. You can't see this on the podcast. All of this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Phew>. <laughs> they just carried like a 10 pound weight and dropped it. It was fantastic. But the, the, the room erupted with applause. It was amazing. So, and the kids didn't expect that. I never said to them they'd go to a festival where, you know, there'd be people there who'd be appreciative of their music and they'll show their appreciation by applause. So there was a room full of strangers who went buck wild who went crazy <laughs> laughing going yeah that was fantastic so these little girls who began playing their instruments a few months beforehand made a connection to a room of people who appreciated what they did 
and the whole throw up story. I didn't know that until afterwards or the day later <laughs> thing, and, and whatever else, but, but it was amazing to me. So what do adjudicators look for? I mean, it's, it's hard. I'm, I'm, I know I'm romanticizing this in a big way, but uh, that to me says a lot. When you get an ensemble who really gets into the music, it's, it's great if they have perfect balance and blend and intonation, but this is still, a, a festivals are a snapshot of where an ensemble is mm-hmm. in their journey as music makers. So it won't be perfect. It will, it will not, it will, no, no, no uh, performance will be perfect. And I'm happy with that. Like if yeah. they come in, they're under rehearsal, I'm happy with that. We can work on that. We can build from that sort of thing. So, yeah. so I'm looking for a connection, something to move me, something to make me think, yeah, you guys get that. So, uh, to your first question now, what do I, what do, what uh, role as a clinician, what do I see as my role as, a, as an adjudicator clinician? Yeah. Um, short answer is uh, to celebrate the things that they do well, celebrate the things the ensemble does well, and discuss ways we can enhance what they're already doing. Yeah. That is the goal of an adjudicator from my vantage point. Uh, I feel that every band, no matter how they play, no matter what they do, they have to leave my clinic feeling validated. They have to leave feeling as if it was worth coming to that festival because there's a, there's a certain vulnerability that comes with playing at a band festival. Like, you know, mm-hmm. And there's a trust that we, uh, we, we have to all afford ourselves to ensure that we get a positive spirit. Because, and, and I, I only taught for a brief time in, in, in public school system, but what teachers go through outside of rehearsals, <laughs> I mean, for, I mean the, the, the permission, slip, permission slips and booking the bus and, and you know, bringing the podium, you know, Jimmy, you free your percussion, you know, or your stick sort of thing. Yeah. You get on the bus, you go to the Hormones. festival. Oh, Jimmy yeah. says, oh, I forgot the wood blocks. <laughs> you go back to the school, pick up the wood blocks sort of thing. Like the idea of being a teacher taking a band to a festival is in itself its own like Netflix special. I'm like, you know, <laughs> there's so many things are going, I can't imagine doing that at all. So to then be there, to be the teacher, to be the, 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 the point of control and calm and organization and say, now nah, we're going to go here and do this and do that. It's a, it's a rather, uh, you know, uh, alarming experience as silly as that sounds and i speak as someone who's taken an ensemble to a festival yeah. and thinking like you know you're in a strange place well you go over here mr clark no sorry you go over there but your band will go over here and whatever else we'll see them in five minutes and you know wampa's done sort of thing it's, it's a lot going on at a festival mm-hmm. so i want to make sure that when the musicians and the conductor performs they can leave feeling like it was worth the effort and it's 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 this comes from uh an experience again please cut me off um, I have a love-hate relationship with adjudicators. When I, was a, when I was in high school, I had a love-hate relationship with adjudicators because I remember we had one adjudicator years ago. Um, he, he, he said nothing constructive. And maybe he was having a bad day or, uh, I don't know, someone spiked his coffee. I have no idea. But, uh, he, 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 was, Drunk, he came yeah. on the stage and he was very, you know, like, you know, you know, good afternoon class, we're going to try doing this for letter B, you know, and, and even the way he's saying things, like, you have no idea, I mean, and I know you know this, Dylan, but adjudicators carry so much power, maybe even too much power, because it's possible to, to decimate a program, and this happened to me in high school, I went to a festival, the adjudicator said things like, you're playing this too fast, your tempo was wrong, he actually said, your tempo is wrong, and he'd go to the score and say, here's, a, here's what this, the, the tempo marking is in the score. He'd pull out a metronome, and he was right. Yeah, we were playing much faster than that. Right. He was right. So he, and, and, this, and this terrible workshop, 
He said, we're going to try to do it at this temple. Now we're talking about 120 kids who've been practicing this piece their way with their conductor, who they, who, you know, who our conductor was our, our hero. He was an icon in our lives. And here's this man comes in and says, everything you've been doing at this point in time is wrong. And I'm going to correct it for you in the next 10 minutes. And he had us do, I can't remember what the piece was, but he had us do this piece at the correct temple marking. <laughs> and we couldn't do it. We were so used to going, oh, it was the Hound of Spring. Hound of Spring by Alfred Reed. All hell, Alfred Reed. It was the Hound of Spring by Alfred Reed. And, and we would go, yum ba dum bum yum ba dum bum bum I said, no, 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 no. The temple was this. yum ba dum bum 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 And we couldn't do it. And the more we couldn't do it, the more flustered we got. The more flustered we got, the more upset we got. The more upset we got, the more upset he got, because we couldn't do it. So we finally got to his tempo, and it made sense. But at this point in time, we're thinking all we did was wrong. Everything we did at this point in time was wrong. And then you say other things like that, where we just always felt was like, you know, we didn't do anything right. And, and not that we were looking forward to a gold, silver, or bronze. Mm-hmm. What we wanted was feedback on our performance and how we can improve as an ensemble. What we got was a litany of complaints about the things that we did wrong and you know, don't come back sort of thing. And I, I think about this because the same thing happened to me fast forward 10, 15 years. I had an ensemble who picked a piece and it was way too fast, way too fast. And I took it upon myself to go to them and say, hey, listen, I love what you're doing. Let's try this. Let's try having you play that part right there. So, you know, the client plays part. Okay, now the two of you guys do it. Okay, now the entire client section do it. Can you hear how it's getting, like, it's not as clean as it was before. It's getting, you know, more and more fuzzy sort of thing. So let's slow it down and see what it sounds like. We slow it down. See how clear that is now? That's fantastic. Now, your tempo is great. I love your tempo. But I want you to try aiming for that clarity. So if it means sacrificing your tempo to get that clarity, decide for yourself is that the priority you want or whatever else and i use an example and it happens already in this in this in this uh podcast whenever i get excited i talk fast and you probably know the <laughs> faster and faster i talk and the faster i talk the more intelligible i become so i'm just trying to understand what i'm trying to say blah 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 blah, blah, blah. so i did this in front of the kids and said this is what happens to me when i get too excited and it's hard to understand once again music is a communicative art you're telling a story to your audience if you don't understand what you're saying then you're losing the impact that you could have on your audience mm-hmm. so we took it upon ourselves to take this please, slow it down, and then slowly build it up to speed. Now, true story, about several months later, I heard the same band play the same piece at a festival. It was a national festival now. And they did it at the tempo that they did it at the, at the, at the festival where I saw them, the recent festival where I saw them. But it was white hot. It was fantastic. They worked really hard on clarity. And even though I don't agree with that tempo, they put together a matter that was clear. Yeah. And it was amazing. I think they still got maybe a hair, but they took what I said, I think, and made it tangible for them in a way they can make it work without hearing things like you're wrong, you did it incorrectly, and you're at, an, you're at a festival, and therefore, you know, here's your participation pin, get out of here sort of thing. So for, for me, we celebrate the things that you do well, and you, you enhance in any way you can what needs improvement, and they have to walk out of the festival. Number one rule, they have to walk out of the festival feeling it was worthwhile coming to the festival, no matter how they play. That's a hard thing to do. I have mm-hmm. several stories, so Dylan does as well, several stories about ensembles who like, you know, oh, wow, that was interesting. But still, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's our job to make sure they leave feeling validated, feeling as yeah. if it was worthwhile. This thing that we call music making was worthwhile doing this, even at a festival level. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And I, I think uh, for many people, because this is something we don't talk about a lot in public, like it seems like some kind of weird mystic art adjudicating. And uh, I'm so glad... I kind of knew you were going to say that. And I'm, I'm so glad that um, you, you talked about 
um, you know, your role as adjudicator, we've all had those adjudicators, as you said, you know, this is wrong. It, this is math. We're doing math. It's right or wrong. Um, <laughs> but I certainly totally agree with you. Like my job as an adjudicator is not to fix everything that you've done wrong. It might be to light the spark that wants you to fix everything, but I'm certainly going <laughs> to lift you up in the process and do those kind of things. And, Absolutely. and if I can share a little story, just because you were part of this experience, it was, uh -oh. um, we were adjudicating in Collingwood. It was me, you and Sharon Fitzsimmons and, ah, Sharon. Um, and this band that I had never heard came on stage. And I just saw like the two of you talking to each other. And then you, Sharon leaned over to me and said, I, I know you're not going to, you're not actually supposed to be doing the clinic for this band, but Colin and I want to give you, let you do this. Like you need to do it. And that <laughs> band, I'll name them because I love them so much. Uh, is Patrick Fogarty uh, sec yes! secondary. They're just like, I love James uh, Hiltz. And he's just, yeah, anyway, he's got an amazing school. So I remember yes. th they they had, I forget what piece, they played some slow band piece. And uh, I remember just putting my pencil down and I couldn't, like, I couldn't write. I was just so, so moved to the point of tears I was moved. And I <laughs> remember uh, so I stupidly went into the clinic that you guys let me do and I told them that. Like I told them, like I couldn't, I, I, yeah. Anyway, so we, we went on, we did the clinic. It was great. We improved. We, everyone, you know, changing lives. So then I get home, I'm, I get home, I'm sitting on the couch and, uh, someone, uh, an alumni of that program had sent me an article that was written in the Aurelia star or something, whatever it's called. And the headline of this article was high school band makes adjudicator cry. <laughs> and I was like running through the article, like, please, I hope it doesn't say my name in it. But but that just goes to prove your point. Like that that performance to me was the highlight of that year, of that festival. Like it wasn't about perfection. It wasn't about oh, did you hear, hear how many 16th notes I played and how loud they were? No. <laughs> um, but how you moved us and how you moved the audience and how you moved yourselves. Is, is really important. But anyway, yeah. So I thank you for, yet again, another experience. Well, I, <laughs> I, I have to extend a, a, a salute to you because to walk into a, to a situation like that and express that, like your, your performance was so moving that like, you know, it, 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 my, my, my eyes began to well with tears. That's how, that's how, like, that's, that's again, another vulnerability where it's, it, it's great. And what that does for kids is amazing. They can go home and tell mom and dad, mom, I made a connection with this guy. His name was, oh, I can't remember his name, you know, but it was supposed <laughs> yeah. to be called Dr. Sherry Fitzsimmons. Instead of showing another guy. <laughs> Some young guy didn't <laughs> know what he was the doing. Other guy came <laughs> hey, he, he, he connected. We connected with him in a way that I didn't think was possible in music making or whatever else. And that's why we do what we do. And that's why I love doing what I do. Yeah. Because uh, Dylan, for you to walk in there and to, to be expressive that way, that, that, that I think is life changing. I really think it's something that the kids will remember four years. And I've had that experience where an adjudicator said to me, yeah, you guys played so well that I was completely moved by what you did. And I, I'm, I'm in my very, very, very late thirties. And it's, it's amazing to me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing to me that even after so many years of doing what I do, I still have a, 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 a very good memory of that moment where I was mm -hmm. told by someone whom I respect mm -hmm. very much that my music in some way, shape or form connected with them. That's why we do what we do. And thank you, Dylan, for doing what you do. That's awesome. Hot you need dog. to stop. You need to stop, sir. This is like this is too such much. a love fest. Yeah. This is <laughs> I'm going to get someone really cranky next week. <laughs> we don't have that, but anyway. <laughs> no, no, not in this world. Um, well, 
Speaking of positive experiences and making connections <laughs> through wonderful things, uh, actually my first time connecting with you, Colin, was through the National Youth Band, <laughs> NYB. In back in 2008, and I participated in that group for a couple of years, but that was my first year doing it, and it was just such a such a memorable experience. I'm still friends to this day with some people that I met in that group. <laughs> I still remember, you know, our performances. It was such a, a meaningful thing for me to have taken part in, and you were such a huge part of that. So we were wondering if you could. Just talk a little bit about what the experience was like being the conductor of that group. Oh my goodness, the National Youth Band of Canada. What a fantastic institution it is. Uh, first of all, I remember meeting you for the first time there. I thought to myself, this Kate will never go anywhere in life. I'm like, geez. <laughs> <laughs> what a bum. <laughs> and who picked the bass player anyway? But like, you know, it's not going anyway. But uh, all kidding aside, I mean, uh, it, it, was, it was a... Remember what I said about like, you know, uh, playing in some of these bands is like Comic-Con without the costumes? Uh, mm -hmm. National Youth Band right there because we have kids now from all over the country getting mm -hmm. together to make music just to have fun and a good time with that. And we had a fantastic time. It was so much fun. Uh, I, I, I remember getting the, the uh, uh, actually it was David Lum who, who told me that I was the next conductor of the National League Band of Canada. He actually came to, what a sweet guard this guy is. He came to a wind orchestra <laughs> rehearsal, true story, he came to a wind orchestra rehearsal. And in the middle of my rehearsal, he just said, I wanna make a quick announcement to you guys. I wanna let you know that this guy up here is the next conductor of the National League Band of Canada. The whole band applauded, I had no idea. And it was just the sweetest thing for him to do. He could have sent me an email or a phone call, but he drove to my rehearsal just to deliver the news. That was the <laughs> beginning of my- That's so nice. It, was, it really was, it was really cool. David Lum's the man. Uh, and, and then, you know, and then I got the, then I got the, uh, call from, uh, Ken F and of course Ken, uh, is an amazing, was sadly a, an amazing music educator, administrator. He did it all. He was fantastic. Uh, he's no longer with us, but, uh, Ken, uh, I got the first email from him and like, you know, then the, 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 the process began, you know, rehearsals, repertoire, all these things and whatnot. Uh, and the, my first, my first, uh, memory of my email from him was, uh, the schedule. And the National Band schedule was we had three rehearsals a day and each rehearsal was three hours. So we had nine hours of rehearsal every day. And I'm thinking there's no way in the world that's true. And sure enough, I wrote him back and said like, and he said, nope, this is what we do. And this is how we do it. So I'm thinking like, you know, I, I, I'm using it as an excuse, you know, well, Ken, are you sure the kids can hold a lot? There's a lot of playing on us. The whole time thinking I have no endurance to do like, there's another one. It was me and my lower back pain. I was like, you know, how am I going to stand there for three hours, three times that day? But, but what was amazing to me uh, was the, the musicians, first of all, Oh my goodness, they, they were fantastic. And I'm told that the 2008 NYB, Kate, uh, again, uh, someone fact checked me, was the first time that they had musicians from every province in Canada. Uh, and not the territories, but certainly every province. And they've always had eight of the provinces, nine of the provinces, but that year was the first year, or at least a year, where they had mm -hmm. all 10 provinces represented. And we celebrated that in rehearsal and made a big thing about that, which is fantastic. Yeah, you had us all like stand up, like Manitoba, stand up, Saskatchewan, stand up. And like, it was really, it was really person. great. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, and then that one person from, you know, one province, 
got such a, a thunderous applause, I right? Because it was just such died. a supportive thing. We loved knowing that. Oh, it was fantastic. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and the love began right there. We made a lot of music that week. It was a lot of fun, a, a lot of good times. And I can't, I mean, I don't know if you remember the music we did, uh, Kate, because I have a hard time. I know I know we did uh, Ito's Gloriosa. I know that for sure. Yes. But it was epic. <laughs> epic, epic. Oh my god! Oh, and did we do the Symphonic Metamorphosis as well? The we did. Whole... We did. Oh my god! This is the story. This is a great story. Um, <laughs> I thought for sure, like you know, on a program you have like you know one big pig, like you know the big the big symphony. You have your overture, you have mm. your traditional piece, your contemporary piece, and then the big symphony sort of thing, right? And for us, the big symphony was the Gloriosa uh, or the Symphonic Metamorphosis. And this band was so good; they learned both all four movements of the hymn myth, all four <laughs> movements of the Ito. They learned both. And we had more music on top of that. We had a few things. I know we had Granger in the program someplace and whatever else, but like, you know, we had a large program. So I said to the band, listen, for our, for our final concert, um, we should probably do one or the other. So the Ito or the Hindus, what do you want to do? And both. And I said, no, no, yep. you're, not, you're not hearing me. Um, I, we should probably, because <laughs> you're chops and like, you know, all these things, we should probably do one or the other, but not both sort of thing. And, and, and overwhelmingly, both. We're going to do both. We're going to, not not not. We want to do both, Colin. We're going to do both. We're going to do both. Yeah. So for our final concert that week, we did the entire program, which was a longer program that I had planned to give the ensemble, and they were miraculous. I mean, it was such the, the National Youth Band represents such a special time in my life. We had so much fun in that ensemble. So many jokes. So many good music. So much good music. Do Do you know the National Youth Band of Canada is the reason why I'm on Facebook? Really? <laughs> I don't know if you no. remember this. I was saying to the band, no. second last rehearsal, I was saying to the band, um, we had such a great time, you know, going all over the place, going on tour, Niagara Falls, whatever else. Can you guys send me the pictures you've been taking? Send me the pictures, because I want to have the mementos of our time in the NYB. And they said, yeah, sure, Colin, we'll send it to you on Facebook. I was like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. I don't, I don't do Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. And, I, and this is 2008. So Facebook's like, you know, I, can't, I don't remember when Facebook was uh, created. It was like 2003, 2004, something around there. So Facebook is relatively new, essentially, what I'm trying to say. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't do Facebook. I, you know, just, just send me an email, whatever else, or someone mail me, someone mail me a CD sort of thing with a profile. <laughs> so, so, and of course, just like the National Youth Band, what would you expect from them? They ignored me completely. So they took it upon themselves to create a Facebook page for me. That's In illegal. Fact, they, <laughs> I remember this now. They did two Facebook pages. They did, they did a, 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 a fan page. Which I deleted first, and then they did, <laughs> and then they did a Colin Clark place. Now, now, fast forward. We had our fun in May of two thousand eight. Fast forward six months. I'm I'm talking to a colleague of mine from from uh, St. John's Newfoundland, and he said I've been emailing you for weeks, and you haven't returned my email at all. What's going on with you? And I said, Listen, dude, I, I'm looking at my computer right now. No emails from you whatsoever. What are you talking about? So I'm telling you, I'm looking at my computer. I'm opening up your page on Facebook. And I'm seeing the things I've sent to you. I'm like, no, brother, I don't have Facebook. I don't know what you're talking about. And he says, yes, you do. There's a picture of you. This is your name. And that's Facebook. <laughs> and the National Youth Band of Canada did that. And I was so bad because by this time, they're gone. They're six months gone. I don't have their emails. I don't have their Facebook. I don't know where they are. I can't find them. I can't Crazy hunt them. Down them. They're gone. And furthermore, and this is the best part, um, to put together a Facebook page of any sort, you have to have an email address. They didn't have my email address. So what they did was they created one. So my email address, which I've used now for the past 14 years, is clarkvader at gmail.com. Yeah. I don't know if you have to edit that. No, it's But uh, <laughs> Clark Vader, they came up with that. And I loved it so much. I've used it every day since then. 
but they came with the email address for me and that's why i use it all the time because they know it's a star wars fan that was cool but not that's so awesome i remember that happening it was like on the bus or something and everybody was trying to figure out like how can we get colin on facebook and i had completely forgotten about that that's that's so great you're welcome by the way now you're you know (laughs) (laughs) anyway if if i could do a public service announcement I mean, things like the National Youth Band of Canada and its its sister group, the the, the Dennis Wick Wind Orchestra. If if you're out there and you're a musician uh, in high school and you're looking for an absolutely life changing experience, hook up the NYB. Uh, look at the Dennis Wick Wind Orchestra. These are two organizations again that bring kids together, band geeks together. Uh, to make Bangi goodness from all over the country. That's just exciting. And even now, if I'm not mistaken, the NYB is, even through the pandemic, they're still going this year. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Darren is doing the, the, the uh, uh, sorry, Dr. Darren uh, Overkay yes. is doing the- Past the, BOP the, guest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and I believe, Kate, you're involved this year as well. So that's exciting. I am. Yeah, yeah they're, they're doing a couple of, you know, virtual- presentations and things like that and so as an alumna of course as of the organization i'll be i'll be presenting and connecting with everyone it should be a great time yeah. that's fantastic yeah but also this is the first year i think in the mark mark hopkins is really building this up this is the first year in its history that the national youth band and the dennis wick wind orchestra are doing a collaboration um so we'll be doing i didn't know that yeah so we're doing O canada it's going to be released on music monday and uh, a lot of like Kate's Kate's talk is going to like our our people with Dennis Wick because I work for them as their uh, yep. manager. Um, they'll be able to listen to Kate, and then if, for our speakers, they'll be able to come listen to ours. So it's it's kind of cool to to see um, both band geek groups <laughs> uh, come together and <laughs> and really you know if there's ever a time to come together, it's this year. So. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's going to be super great, and we thank we thank Darren. Idea, yeah. Bravo. So we thank Darren. We thank the, the new, new manager Janet Yoakum and and Jillian and Mark. So it's going to be a it's going to be a party of a time for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of party, I got to stop. I got to stop. Speaking of parties, <laughs> of, um, I've had the the great pleasure of of watching you rehearse and give clinics uh, a number of times, uh, and it's. And I and I hear music teachers tell me about you in this way. It's it's a, you have a way of like kind of like demanding excellence, but in a way that supports musicians in a positive way. They can laugh, they can have act- fun. Can you imagine making music? <laughs> and um, and then I've also heard you speak uh, on a topic that I I've called in one of my OMA talks. I called it maestroitis. Um, you know, the traditional dictator view of a conductor, um, you know, right and wrong. And even the traditional view of it being some old white guy uh, in front of you. Um, so I was wondering if you could speak about how you kind of go about, went about dismantling this idea of, of maestroitis and, and why it's so important to do, like, especially now. I tell you, uh, thank you for the question. Um, because I remember in my formative years trying to establish myself as a conductor, like learning the craft it is, uh, I would like watch videos of great conductors. And of course, there's an era of fantastic conductors. Uh, Toscanini being my favorite. I read a book called The Maestro Myth at some point in time. Uh, and uh, there was a huge section uh, on, on Toscanini and his life and his, his um, you know, his, his quest for excellence and whatnot. And everything about Toscanini I love, but the one thing I could, I could not just make sense of is why. Why would anyone feel it was necessary to 
yell, berate, diminish, marginalize musicians mm-hmm. for any reason whatsoever. And, and I get that there are some cultures or some attitudes that feel that, you know, the only way to get through to someone or get the best out of someone is to to give them that kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, stimulus or attention or whatever else. It's just, it's, just, it's, not, it's just not a part of who I am. And I, I, I will not do that to my musicians. I, there are times where I've come close to saying things <laughs> that I like it. And I'm not afraid to apologize by ensemble. There are occasions where yeah. I do get upset. We all get upset on the podium from time to time and get frustrated and whatever else. We, it, it all happens. And there are occasions where I misspeak and whatever else. And I'll be the first to apologize for that. But I will never go out of my way to say, like, you know, to throw a chair or, 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 or whatever else. Uh, I, I just, I, it's not part of who I am. It's not part of what I believe music education is about. And even professional music making. I mean, I've, I've conducted a couple of professional ensembles and 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 there's no need for that. For, for me personally, there's no need for that. Uh, I come from the, the teaching that, you know, you get more, uh, t- I, I got to practice my-, my um, <laughs> Your one-liners? Now. Yeah, <laughs> these things. Uh, you get more with, you get farther with honey than you do with some other stuff. I can't what the thing is. Uh, fact check a little bit. And, and, and I'm sorry to those who are listening, how I keep bungling these silly little examples. So my apologies. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, and, and this comes from also watching a number of colleagues. Like, I, again, when I was in my early mid-20s, my school was just go out and, and, and watch other conductors and do what they do sort of thing. So I, 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 I followed, I went to festivals and watched what they do. I go to different places to watch conductors and this, this, that behavior doesn't, doesn't happen. I was, I was, I was, I had the opportunity to go watch uh, like, you know, the professional orchestras. Mm-hmm. I've been to workshops, you know, where I work with professional groups and professional conductors and whatnot. And never, even the professionals are, you know, they're speaking to us as colleagues, as, as, as kindred spirits in a craft that we all enjoy and love sort of thing. So I don't think there's a space for that. I, I just don't. And yeah. again, there are occasions where I do lose my temper, but that does happen to the best of us. Uh, but I will not berate a person. I will not. I will not. You know, embarrass someone uh, so uh, viciously just to make the point of getting good music. So, so that's where I stand on that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think we're all on the same page there. I think most educators get the sense as well. So that's where I land on that on that yeah. topic. Not me. I like to throw a good chair once in a while. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I was I was wondering. I don't want to push this upon you, but I've heard you tell a story. Uh, a number of times about an early experience uh, when you were in Taiwo with with uh, a member of your group and and some and her family. You weren't the Colin Clark they were expecting to see. Ah, you're not the Clark we're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, this is this is a curious story, and uh, and uh, uh, thank you for the question. Um, yeah, uh, the the Wind Orchestra did a concert, Macmillan Theater. It was our first formal concert. Uh, I was so excited. We were all so excited. It was a it was a terrible program from from a, from a uh, taking repertoire <laughs> point of view, but it was a, we had so much fun we didn't care. And and uh, yeah, we, we 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 told our musicians to go out and 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 spread the word that we're doing this concert. You know, there's this, this punk kid who's, I think, I think maybe like 19, 20, 21, something like that. Like late teens, early 20s for sure. Uh, you know, he's connected to song. We're doing this repertoire. It's going to be great. Uh, bring your family, bring your friends and come out. So so long story short, uh, um, or long story longer, longer <laughs> uh, there was a family who came to the concert who was the uh, parents of a musician in the ensemble um, who who didn't expect to see me on the podium. And by me, I mean a black person on the podium. 
Um, and uh, I mean, the, the name Colin Clark is such an innocuous name. It's a very British name. Uh, and, and it never occurred to me that uh, uh, my presence in a symphonic setting would be offensive to people. And it's actually, it's, it's a sad story that has a happy ending because uh, these people um, uh, at the intermission, they left the concert. They left their daughter at the concert. The daughter found her way home, it wasn't a big deal. But when she got home, she, the parents told her that she was not allowed to play an ensemble ever again. They made it clear why. And, uh, I, and, and myself and this young lady, we're still, to this day, we're still friends. We still connect uh, online, which is fantastic. That's the happy ending part. But she would tell me uh, about how she felt. And you, you know what I mean? Like imagine being so proud of something, do you know what I mean? And you go home and you want to share it with the people you love. And those people say, you can never do that again. And whatever the reasons are, I mean, that's, 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 a, that's a brick wall to start with. But the reasons they had, I mean, one of the most, she told me one of the most offensive things about that event for their, from their, their parents' point of view was the fact that when I walked off on the stage, that the ensemble stood up, they had to stand. And it's a tradition in our community where the conductor walks on stage and the, and the orchestra musicians or the winter musicians stand up. And they felt that was an occasion where uh, their daughter was giving power to someone lesser than her. And that's not appropriate. So, mm -hmm. so you know, who who am I to assume authority or agency over any of these people because of who I am? And that was just the beginning of it. I've never I've never actually told this part of the story. Um, they were so upset about this entire thing because they came to the University of Toronto. They thought this was a University of Toronto production, and they, did, they didn't know any better, like you know, sort of thing. So I'm told that they actually called the faculty of music uh, and complained about the fact that they had some ass of a man on I'm sorry for saying ass can you know no no it's good yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they had this person on stage you know doing things that are inappropriate and you can do this sort of thing now U of T wow. and, and and again U of T being U of T it was like who are you and why are you calling and uh, <laughs> uh, click right <laughs> they immediately dismissed this they gave it no regard whatsoever and they weren't even going to tell me the receptionist wasn't even going to tell me about it because she was afraid to upset me even more but I was I was happy to hear it but anyway it didn't get past reception they tried to complain and what have you and just just whatever else but uh I mean it really hurt to think that um someone of my uh, culture didn't have a place on the world stage when it comes to symphonic music making. Yeah. And, and I know from, from, I mean, this is a very uh, polarizing time right now because you look at things mm -hmm. that are happening in the States and there's things that are also happening in Canada as well. It's a challenging time for, for, for what we're going through as, as a community, as a collective, you know, it's, it's, it is a black issue, but it's also a societal issue as well. It's not yeah. just about my culture, but our culture. It's not just about my heritage, but our heritage. And something that we have to, it's, it's a hard thing to challenge because it's so deep rooted in our history. And, and that's a hard thing to attack. So, I mean, going back to this, 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 uh, this uh, example uh, of our first concert, I, I got to the point where, uh, Kate, you asked me a question, you know, uh, how long did it take before I felt comfortable being on the podium? Because of this incident, I felt even less qualified to conduct a symphonic ensemble. Because I asked the question, maybe I don't belong here. Maybe regardless of whatever I have to offer, whatever I have to say, is it possible that this is not meant for someone like me. Is it possible? And I ask these questions emphatically. Is it possible that I'm stepping on this on this toes of people, certain people who are supposed to be in this position, not someone like myself? And it took me a long time to get past that. But what I did, I thought to myself, I'm not going to complain for who I am. I'm not going to complain for what I can do. I'm going to do what I do and do more of it 
all the time to the best of my ability and do it proudly. So that's where I tried to get beyond that. And it opened my eyes to a number of, of things in my community. Uh, for example, not just my, my race uh, being a person of uh, African descent, but also gender. Because I remember this, I'm sorry to go on about this, but this, this, this to me, this is a tangential story, but this to me is equally important. It's an important story. I remember, I, I remember I had a crush on a girl in university. Um, and of course, all the best stories begin with, there was this girl. And I, <laughs> I, I asked her on a date, she said, well, listen, how about this? How about you come to my concert first? Uh, and then after the concert, we're going to get a bite to eat. So she sang in the, in the women's choir at, uh, at Western. And uh, Jen White was a conductor, fantastic human being. Oh, Jen was fantastic. And the choir was just amazing. But when I got the program, the concert theme was Canadian women composers. And by the time I got to Western, having been at U of Tree for years and then, then walked the earth trying to find which way I'm going to take my path sort of thing, and then finally arrived at Western, that was the first time I even contemplated. First time in my life. I mean, my late 20s, this is the first time in my life, I even, first time I ever contemplated that women wrote music. And I'm thinking, there's something wrong with that. If, mm -hmm. if I'm at this age in my life, at this point in my life, and it never occurred to me that women, of course, I, I knew a few female uh, 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 choral composers, but an entire concert dedicated to women who pen choral music, that's never <laughs> occurred to me before. So when I went on this date with this woman, we started talking about that because it was just it was just new to me, and we started opening the dialogue. It's like you know what there's what are we missing in our education, where where you know I get to a point in my career, and that's the first time I think about something like this, or or and 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 we open this scope now to talk about uh, people of color, people of ethnicity, people of uh, 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 gender, uh, whatever. Like so let's, let's talk about them more. So our first conversation. Uh, was uh, the first date, if you will, was all about like equality and what can wow. we do about this and what's going on sort of thing. And it was, it was. I mean, she, she's my friend to this day. We didn't work out romantically, but she's my best friend to this day. And and uh, we we talked about this over a period of years. Like, you know, how do we change the dialogue where it's okay for a man of my background to walk onto a stage and conduct a symphonic ensemble, where it's the norm, where it's okay, not even okay, it's just it's comfortable, it's okay, it's normal to see women penning music, women conducting major symphonic ensembles. Because, you know, I have my struggles as a man of a particular ethnicity, but uh, uh, Kate and so many of our colleagues can talk to the struggles of women being on the podium, conducting major symphony orchestras or, or whatever else, you know, sort of thing. And, and, and in this instance, if I made a Kate, uh, you know, just be a composer of wind music, which is exciting to me. But this is a conversation I had years ago with, with, a, with a friend of mine. And it's, it, it begs the, we're in a time now, I think we have to have some difficult conversations mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. where we've come from, what we have here and where we want to be. Where we've come from is a history of, I'm just gonna say it, uh, systemic racism, where in our culture, in our society, in our curriculum in schools, there are certain things that are left out of the conversation, period. It's a reality, it's a fact, it's, it, it, there is. And there's a, a colleague and friend of mine, um, uh, Darren Hamilton, wrote a fantastic, a fantastic article in, in the Canadian Music Educator magazine, uh, Dismantling Anti-Black Racism uh, in Music Education, I know the title. And, and it's an extraordinary, extraordinary piece about how we think about music education. And I and he he explores you know BIPOC he explores uh, uh, all, all I mean, focus on Black culture but of course you know explores a number of things about the questions which we ask ourselves right now yeah. um, because it's it's it shouldn't be me in my 
late 20s, early 30s, discovering female composers. That shouldn't be your mm -hmm. kids in the classroom now. And, and we have to ask ourselves, what can we do to make this space available to all of us? And making sure we have the, 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 uh, uh, the welcoming spirit to embrace that in all of us. It's a hard conversation to have, but the only way to get through this is to have the difficult conversations and work through that. We could talk for, I could talk for another hour easily. Part uh, two. <laughs> well, if there's a part two, I'd be happy, yeah. happy in that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an important conversation that needs to be heard. And I'm, I'm happy uh, to see changes in our society because again, uh, we still have problems, mind you. There's still lots of problems that we had, but there was a time where it would be almost unfathomable to see a woman in front of a symphony orchestra. It would be infathomable to see someone like me uh, uh, in front of a major symphonic group. And, you know, we're making the steps to get things better. And one of the things I love about the band community, uh, uh, especially in, in Canada, is that I rarely have ever have felt out of place as a conductor, which is wonderful. I, I've adjudicated all over Canada, all over the U.S. I've, I've adjudicated in, in Shanghai, China. And I can't recall an occasion where I felt out of place as a, as a person of who I am in the band community, which, yeah. which is a wonderful thing. And I'm glad to be able to say that. But there's still challenges that have to be met. There's still problems that have to be faced. And we, as a, as a culture, have to be prepared to have some difficult conversations about things that, uh, that you know, that I think have to be identified. So, so... Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing, for being so open about that. I, I absolutely agree that these tough conversations are essential conversations at absolutely. this point. So I think this sets a great example. Mm -hmm. We have reached a sad point in our conversation here where we're approaching the last question that we have for you today. And uh, for, for listeners, we are also going to go on and record a very exciting brief bonus episode that you can listen to if you become a subscriber on Patreon. And we will we will go into that more as well. Patreon.com slash bandroompod. Subscribe. You can hear the bonus episode yeah. that we're gonna record with Colin and all of the other wonderful things that are it's on. It's going there. to change your life. <laughs> But before we get to that uh, very exciting bonus episode, Colin, our last question for you, and thank you so much for being with us today and sharing absolute pleasure all of your your insight and perspective um dylan i'll i'll let you afterwards you know share all of your exciting feelings oh, i'm sure I that you have, have so many feelings <laughs> i know <laughs> so our last question formally is if you could give one piece of advice to up-and-coming conductors or educators what would it be consume mm. just just everything consume everything uh, I, I think about my life in my 20s when I didn't think I was strong enough to be a conductor, that I had the experience to be someone who could stand in front of a, in front of a group of musicians, accomplished musicians, and make any meaningful uh, uh, gesture or effort. And I just, the advice I got was just, you know, go to concerts, go to rehearsals. Uh, I, I was lucky. I, I, I called the Toronto Symphony Orchestra years ago and said, can I just sit and, and watch your rehearsal? Just watch a rehearsal. And they were fantastic. They said, yes, you can come in. You can't speak to the orchestra. You can't speak to the conductor. You have to sit in the very back. You can't make any noise, but you're welcome to come and watch. And I would do that. And that 
rehearsals are so exciting. They're just fantastic. Mm -hmm. And when I learned that, I went to a bunch of rehearsals. I called like, you know, colleagues of mine, you know, people who are or teachers. It's like, do you mind if I come and just watch your rehearsal? I go to festivals and not just band festivals. I go to orchestra festivals, I go to the OVF festival. I would go there. Can I sit in, in the workshop room and watch these professionals work with these people? I would consume as much as I could at every chance I got in any way I can. I would go to concerts, folk concerts, uh, R&B concerts, uh, 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 Tahoe music, you know, early music concerts. Just consume everything you can because that makes for a broadened perspective that you will bring to whatever ensemble you work with. To have some experience and uh, uh, doing things in uh, an African drumming setting, do you know what I mean? And then when you pull out pieces that are very rhythmic, you can we can, we can uh, resource that and use that in your setting with your group. So if you're a young conductor and you're looking for a way to become what you want to be in terms of the world of conducting and education, consume. Go try everything. You know, join a choir, sing in a band, pick up a guitar. Who cares? It all is a cumulative and will make you a, a better, well-rounded musician. And those experiences will, I'm, I, I'm telling you as someone who's lived this, those experiences will heighten what you do on the podium and make you a better, rounder educator as you convey your ideas and passions to your musicians. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. Wonderful. And yeah, just... I mean, that that piece of advice alone, but just having you uh, share everything that you've shared today has just been great. And that, that piece of advice, especially, you know, we, we talk about so much about not putting this globe around the band world and really trying to rip down the walls of genre and you telling us to consume. No, not just Alfred Reed. I'll praise Alfred all Reed. Hail. Yes, I'll hail. Um, uh, and, and, you know, in our band people, um, but to really, you know, go outside, listen to stuff that's different and never to think that one is superior than the other, just different and, and that we can complement each other and everything has, has its own strength and we can learn and bring it all in. That has been really great. But I just want to thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart. This is one that I've been looking forward to for so, so long. And you are so incredibly, if I may just be selfish just for one moment, so incredibly important to me as the music educator that I am today. And to have you part of my story at each point has been an, an immense blessing. And to think of the impact that you have across the country, uh, it, let alone the continent, probably. <laughs> China, you said the world, the world yeah. uh, has been amazing. And I have so many people we've talked about you and, and how wonderful you are. Uh, so thank you for everything you do for music education, for band, for orchestra, and for making the world uh, an amazing and much better place and, and for being that example to all of us. So thank you so, 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 so much, Colin, uh, for taking the time to speak with us today. It, it means so much. Thank you. Your words mean so much to me. I, 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 I can't thank you enough for, for allowing me to share, you know, this part of what I do with you folks. Uh, you two are heroes to me as well. It needs to be said. Uh, you two are doing things in our community that will change lives. I firmly believe that. And it, it means so much to be invited into your space here and to share my silly little anecdotal stories about life <laughs> and whatever else. So, so thank you for, for that. It, I truly am humbled by being here. I appreciate the invitation, guys, and I wish you both all the best in your continued endeavors because you guys are powerful people as far as I'm concerned. Yes, God bless you both. Thank you, Colin. Thank you so much.
Thanks so much for spending time with us in the band room. If you want to learn more about anything we discussed in today's episode, you should visit our website, bandroompod.com. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the band room and give us that rating and review and maybe tell a friend how much you enjoyed it. If you really love the show, consider donating to our Patreon page where you can donate to BRP and get some extra incentives in return, like bonus episodes, monthly Zoom hangs with me and a mystery guest, and even some BRP merch. Speaking of another way to support the podcast, you could buy some BRP merch helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on our social media at BandroomPod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up with what is on the go. And if you have any thoughts on today's episode, leave us a comment on our website. And who knows, that comment might be featured in a future episode of BRP. A big giant thanks to composer EKR Hamill for letting us use his piece Skyline as the BRP theme music, which was performed by the University of Toronto Wind Ensemble, conducted by Dr. Gillian McKay. Stay safe and be well, bandies. Thanks again for stopping by the band room.